welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio. Tonight, we're going to be talking short tail pythons with Graham <laughs> Battinson. I hope I said that right. Yeah, there he is. There he is. He's he, he is on the line. He is ready to roll. It's probably oh my like two, god. It's probably two <laughs> o'clock in the morning over in Europe, where where I think he's in Liverpool. Uh, we'll find out in a second. Um, but um, yeah, he hatched out um, not too long ago. Uh, maybe maybe a month ago, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, the I super about that. Super Stripe Batik which is uh, pretty badass, um, really cool snake. So basically, for those people that don't know what a batik uh, blood python is, uh, think of a zebra, and that's what a batik is in bloods. So um, it's an awesome, awesome snake. Uh, so we're going to break that down, get into his projects, uh, talk about how he keeps them and all that kind of stuff. But before we do that... Yeah. Um, I wanted to make the announcement <laughs> that Southern Carpet Fest this week is at Tony Jerome's. Um, mm-hmm. It got moved, uh, and I guess they finally found a spot to go to. Um, so probably going to be a really awesome time, and you're going to get to see an adult Poplin python and some Carpondros. Oh, yeah. Some, yeah. So uh, he loves that snake, and that snake is pretty badass. So uh, if you are headed down that way, wait, is, yeah, Southern Carpet Fest is this weekend, right? April 28th. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Isn't that this I gotta weekend? Check. Wait, no. That's... I gotta... No. Well, no. No. No, no, no. No, Screw no, we've, no we've, we've <laughs> messed Screwed it up. up. No, wait. It's Southwest Saturday. Carpet Fest at this, this weekend. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah. I was wondering you'd how they be, were all going to get to Tony Jerome's. You'd be going to yeah, Tony's geez. and they would be like, what? <laughs> uh, no. What? Uh, yeah, all right. Well, that's the following weekend, the May 5th and 6th, 6th uh, is the Southern Carpet Fest. So this weekend is Southwest Carpet Fest. Uh, so that's out there on the West Coast, Vista, California. Um, it's April 28th and 29th. Uh, you can get in touch with, uh, let's see, you can get in touch with Riley, I think Brandon, um, any of those guys out there, carpet guys out there on the West Coast, um, they can give you more information. So that's cool. They got the auction going on now uh, over on their Facebook group page, so you can check that out. Um, I think you're on there, right, Owen? I know I have a voucher on there for 200 bucks. Uh, so with yep, all the crazy that. shit that I'm hatching out, if you're interested in any of that, go grab yourself a voucher and who knows, you uh, you might get a little bit of a deal and you're supporting a good cause. Uh, so we got that going on. So that's cool. And now, Owen, we have hoodies and shirts yes. in different colors. Oh, man, we have yes. arrived, man. It's taken us uh, six years or seven six years. Six years. And <laughs> I don't know. It's. Uh, apparently, if you raise enough money through the booster campaigns at Custom Mink, they really like you, and they give mm-hmm. you, like, a, a liaison and a staff, and apparently we just got – so for future uh, boosters, we're definitely going to be offering a lot more stuff. There won't just be the one color for our stuff anymore. There will be multiple colors, and we're going to try to have the options of hoodies as well because there's only so many – black t-shirts with a snake on it we can provide you guys with before you know that's your entire wardrobe so 
that's what we're going to end up doing with that. So right now we have five different colors for you guys to choose from uh, with the carpet fest design as well as uh, a hoodie. So if you want to go on there, the t-shirts are also the same price regardless of color. The hoodie is a little bit more expensive, but totally freaking worth it in my opinion. Um, and yeah, so uh, from now on when we do boosters, uh, you guys will have a lot more options for stuff. So see, we're listening and we're trying to be more fashion forward for you guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So, uh, yeah, so we got that going on. Um, is there, how many days are left in that? This is it. This is the last week. You literally have seven days. It is closed May 1st. Cause we want to make sure everybody gets them in time for carpet fest. So do not delay. Do not do, don't waste your time. I haven't even ordered my stuff yet, and I'm going to make sure I do that probably tomorrow because I want to make sure I get it all done because I don't want to be caught on the other side of this thing. So if you are on the fence about getting a T-shirt for the Northeast Carpet Fest, I don't care. You're pro- if you're listening to me while you're streaming this, if it's Wednesday or something like that, just go on and order it. There's a bunch of different colors, like I said, and the hoodie. Do not wait because after May 1st, just like all the other previous Carpet Fest designs, you will not be able to get them. We kind of do this for that reason, that you buy the shirt that goes with the Carpet Fest for that year, and then next year we'll have a brand new design for you guys. It's almost like a concert t-shirt. Holy yeah. crap, I just channeled you there for a minute. It was, That was <laughs> weird for me. Yeah. So Bring that music in. I like it. That's <laughs> so weird. Um, but anyway, <laughs> that's... That's what, the way you can get it. And, of course, there is international shipping. So if you are outside of the United States, you can still get it. Just go online, check it there. If you have already previously ordered a shirt but want it to be one of the new colors that's available, contact Custom Inc. through the Ask Questions page. They already know you guys uh, might have this question coming up, so they will swap out for the color that you want uh, with no charge. If you have already purchased a T-shirt, but want a hoodie, they'll swap it out for you for a little bit of an additional charge to cover the cost. So it's like hoodies, uh, hoodies I think are like 35 and t-shirts are like 25. So for 10 extra bucks, something like that. So definitely get on this stuff. Cause like I said, they're gone after May 1st, no more. Right. Cool. So, All right. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, our season updates. Uh, what do you got going on? You're hatching on? eggs. You're hatching eggs. You're got eggs all <laughs> over the place. You know, I'm, I'm waiting for you to be like, and I bred Halmaheras. So like, well, you, you were doing that. Well, yeah, it's, not, but, you know. Not, um, quite. <laughs> not, not, not yet. <laughs> so um, it was, we're doing pretty good over here. I'm waiting for a few females to drop. Uh, I have my super caramel that is constantly all twisted up. Uh, and then I'm waiting for probably two more coastals after her. Uh, and then my Wilma laid eggs, uh, earlier this week. Yeah. I saw that. It's pretty so awesome. that is, that is a first for me. So that is, a a a, a, a non Morelia species is probably the first one that I've, uh, produced and may actually be my old, my first non Morelia species of Python to have bred. So Ooh. there you go. Oh, all right. Yeah. I never thought that so, would have been a Wilma. <laughs> I know, right? Freaking, like, you know, I showed the eggs to the white lips and I said, do you see this crap? So, you know, that's, um, but, so, 
Um, but the uh, I took your advice and I actually had uh, a sim container uh, sitting there gathering dust in my closet. So mm-hmm. I set up the eggs with the sim container, and I guess I must have caught her right after she was done laying because they were really, really soft. And that kind of freaked me out for a little bit. But mm-hmm. after a day or two in the sim container, they've kind of puffed up and gotten that, you know, they feel like snake eggs. So I'm excited. Dude, if you're doing artificial incubation, those sim containers are the way to go, man. I'm telling you, man. They're I'm freaking phenomenal. Oh, I freaking love well, them. I, I was... I was thinking about it because I'm looking at my my uh, all my egg bins in my incubator and they're getting a little old. I mean, these are the ones I bought when I originally started in 2010. So, you know, I've just been cleaning them up and redoing using them. So I'm like, you know, I should probably just go get new bins. And then the sim container is working out so fantastically. And I know the guy who does them all and stuff like that. So I'm like, you know, I should probably just get a bunch of sim containers and just stack them up in the uh, incubator. And then when I need them, I'll bust them out. I'm like, this works fantastic. Yeah, so. they really are really, yep. really good. I like them a lot. Um, Can't use them for lizards. If, if I were to use them for lizards, they would just open. That lid is not secure. As <laughs> like, I mean, I just see a lizard going, hi, and I'm free. So, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> the, probably a little bit different. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the humidity is perfect, spot mm-hmm. on. So I do the uh, trick I learned from Buddy Buscemi is that what I do is I use those sim containers, but I put a – I have like a – uh, think of like a flag a flag pole like you know what i mean like one yeah. of those little flag poles you would put in your lawn or something like that you know um like a dowel sort of and uh i yeah. ra- i put the i put the the box on a slant so to speak so like when it starts to conden you know you get condensation on the top of the box or anything that'll all roll forward and right down into the bottom so Oh, no my God. Why didn't I do yeah. that? All right. Well, I guess what I'm doing yeah. later tonight. <laughs> I actually um, I actually put – I took the, the wood-burning tool that I used to poke air holes in my bins, and I put mm-hmm. one at each corner so to give it a little bit more ventilation because that would probably be my only complaint is lack of some ventilation. But one hole in each corner was working out great for me. So – I, they're specifically designed, I guess, to be that way. I can't remember what the science was behind it, but they, you know, they, that they, they were made, cause that was something that came up on another podcast that those guys were on and they were talking about it. And they said that, you know, that's the way it's supposed to be, but you know, everybody's got their own way, you know? Yeah. It's just like with shipping boxes. Do you punch a hole in it? Do you not punch a hole in it? Some people say to punch a hole in it. Some people say not. I, I feel that's my problem <laughs> is I punch the hole in it and then I immediately either regret that decision and it yeah. like I worry about it the entire time. I'm like, and I've just frozen the snake or I don't punch the hole in it and I immediately regret that decision because then I sit there and go, oh God, it's got too hot. Shipping yeah. sucks, dude. So yeah. <laughs> it's like. I like shipping yeah. right now. No heat pack. You know what I mean? Oh, so oh yeah, part, yeah. It's just, we're in that like window yeah. where there's like no heat pack needed. You just ship it and you're good. Um, I, I, had, and, I, Mike Curtin, uh, Mike Curtin received a package from somebody in August in from Florida with heat packs in it, and I'm like, oh dear God! And oh yeah, wow, so, yeah, oh, <laughs> so, yes. Got to know All when right. to not do that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So one more thing before we get Graham on here. Um, yeah. Th- th- I just said, and next week it's, I think next week is probably going to be me and you. And then the week after that, we have uh, Ben um, from formerly of Australian addiction reptiles uh, and Ben Morrell. Um, he's coming yeah. on and he has uh, something that he's going to, that he's been working on for 
maybe the past two years, I think it's been, and it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, I'm not okay. going to let the cat out of the bag, but uh, I'm looking forward to hearing about it. I, you know, he talked to me way back about it and, um, Oh God, this was a few years, two years ago, I think. And anyway, I, th- I thought it was awesome. And uh, if if where he's going with this, uh, it's going to push the reptile industry ahead. Uh, so it's pretty. Uh, awesome. so he, <clears throat> okay. Yeah, he's gonna I come on and he's gonna talk about it. I'll let you know. I went off to the side. Thank you, <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. It's uh, all I want. You're, you're gonna have to wait for two weeks to know. <laughs> Uh, as your forget as, you Owen. It's like, what? <laughs> as your agent Owen, I must inform you of this. Hey, 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 hey. I sign your fictitious paycheck, sir. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were I was listening to the podcast from the ground up and um those guys were uh they were talking about uh, trying to get you to get on on their show, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> apparently they can't they can't handle Owen without Eric. So maybe it's going to be apparently that's the thing. I mean, you know, I keep you calm. I, I I'm like that's your Snickers not bar. Barely true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? They that's don't not, know. Yeah, I mean, like, well, what is it? I went on I went on GTP Keeper that one time by myself, and mm-hmm. I don't think I destroyed their show. Unless Bill and Buddy have just been nice to me ever since because I destroyed their show. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> nah, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I, uh, the other thing I just wanted to briefly touch on, and we'll get onto this uh, when it's just me and you, we can get more in depth. But there was, uh, you know, the new uh, Pythons of the World book, they basically took. Yes. Uh, Popwin carpets and they lumped them in with Darwin carpets and um, <laughs> there was a lot of controversy about it so there was a thesis that was done uh, it's called the Taylor thesis by Doug Taylor and that was done uh, years ago and uh, it's really the only info that's been done genetic testing that I know of uh, on carpet pythons and um, it's sort of what uh, Nick and Justin based their information off of and how they you know uh, how they you know uh, structured the complex in uh, in their book and um, right so for everybody that knows uh, Raymond Hoser uh, hopefully he doesn't show up out of the woodwork because you say his name three times it's like Boo. no no don't, we've oh. only said it once we've only said it once we're okay all right, all right? so just, I'm not going to say it again say it anymore okay so he 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 was the one to uh, make uh, Popwin carp and carpet pythons, aka IJs, um, yeah. Merez Spilota Harrisoni, um, and <laughs> he names shit after himself all the goddamn <laughs> time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and so everybody knows that 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 gentleman is not really uh, somebody that is well liked in the. Uh, science world she would say herpetoculture yeah yeah uh he he's kind of a kind of a loose loose cannon but anyway yeah well i mean he plays fast and loose where it's the here's the theory now prove me wrong and if nobody can prove him wrong it's like well then it must be true and that's not how science works so it's yeah yeah i 
I mean, I don't know. I'd have to go back and read the paper again. I don't know what the Barkers used for their information to put them with Darwin's. I, I don't agree with that. Uh, I don't they're either. Def- they're definitely different snakes, but maybe they have information that I'm not privy to. Um, but really, the um, IJs are, are closely related to the Cape York carpets, which are closely yes. related to coastal carpets. So IJs would be closer to coastal carpets than they would not to Darwin car- carpets. Yeah. Um, but my so. thing is, if, do you remember, this is going back a ways, do you remember us sitting at ICAS and Nick was given his talk? Yeah, I, I brought this up, yes. <laughs> yes. And, and I forget who stood up, but somebody says, well, why don't we just refuse to use the nomenclature because we hate this guy. And, uh, and Nick's like, but he was right. And it's like, so how much of this is that just because we hate it so much or hate the fact of how he throws the darts at the, like, you know, jello at the wall until something sticks, are we moving away from it because of that? Or do we actually have evidence to support this kind of stuff? Cause I mean, listen, I don't like how he does this stuff, but if the guy is correct, he is correct. So you can't knock it away. So yeah, <laughs> you can't you can't change the science if if the person that it's figured it out is somebody who don't it. like them. I you know, know I mean? it sucks, but yeah, like it Nick really says, does. Like, like Nick <laughs> says, you're right. He's he totally sucks at this, but he was correct this time. So mm-hmm. that's it. That's it. It's done. So the constant retooling because you don't like it. And actually, uh, I was revisiting this earlier this week because uh, there was a red phase white lip posted up on Kingsnake. So, of course, whenever something white lip happens, my emails just go crazy. So mm-hmm. I'm revisiting this and I started doing more research. They're still like because last time I checked white lips was Bothrachillus. They still don't freaking know. There's website that say Leo Python. There's sub website that say Bothrachillus. There's website that say I don't know. There's even ones trying to go all the way back well, to a bunch of different crap. So, well, yeah. I think I think at one point they were Liasis, but um, yes, yes. They're in, in the new book Pythons of the World. They're Leo Python. See, and I don't. I'm not sure if I agree with that because I I kind of figure I kind of like the idea of them being in Bathachillus with the ring pythons. But if that's not how it should fit, then where the hell the ring pythons go? Are they off on their own things? It, it, there's a lot of stuff, and it, unfortunately nobody can get on the same page at this crap. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's all about us putting what we're categorizing these animals. Yeah. And they don't really give a shit how we categorize them. Um, they're just going to continue to be what they are. And uh, yeah, it's just our way of working it out. So, you know, I know it's, it's, you know, you could, uh, 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 as having ring pythons now, you can definitely see how closely they resemble white lips. I never realized yeah. it until I started working with them there. It's just you a know. funky but, colored white lip. You know, that's what it is. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if um, there's been any kind of paper or genetic testing or anything that's been done on them. So I, I probably not. I don't know. But to me, I think that that they're, you know, it's almost like to me, I see them as something like uh, bread lie and carpet python. Yeah, you know, I would agree with that. Of, so whether ring pythons go into leo python or leo Pyth- or white lips go into bothrochillus, 
you know, I, I could see I, where people could, all right. could see that. Here's what, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to need you and Rob, when you go to Australia, to get mm-hmm. as much DNA samples as you can. Okay. From every animal you can think of. Just grab them and stab them with needles and try to get as much as you can. And hopefully you won't get arrested. So, you know, and then, and then hopefully Thanks, you can Colin. get... Now when we're in, when we're in Australia, they're going to be holding us at the freaking gate. And like, you're damn up. right, because you're not bringing me. So. <laughs> hey, man, you're more than welcome to come. Shut up. No. It's too late now. So, <laughs> I'll make this the most uncomfortable. I'm going to call in a tip. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Well, on that note, let's no, get Graham note, okay. and let's get going because I don't want uh, to get detained at an airport in New Zealand. Uh, let's get Owen out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. Plus, it's probably like three in the morning for Graham. Hey, Graham, yeah, welcome to Morelia Python Radio. How you doing? Good evening, fellas. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey. <laughs> That's a relief. <laughs> so, where are you? Where are you? Where are you calling from? It's, Are you uh, in Liverpool? You, you could, yeah, well, I'm just across the uh, the River Mersey. It's a, a little peninsula called the Whittle. So just across the, the Mersey from Liverpool. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. What time is it? It's, <laughs> <What> uh, <laughs> it's about half past two. Oh, oh man. All right. right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for staying yeah. up in the wee That's hours okay. of I'm the morning. I'm off work tomorrow, so. Oh, right. okay. All right. All right. All right. Good, good, good. Very good. All right, let's get Hopefully into this it. Won't be, yeah, this won't be an episode like when we had Casper on and he literally fell asleep on us. Oh, you know. poor guy. <laughs> no, yeah, it was poor him. Anyway, um, Graham, why don't you uh, tell us how you got started into reptiles? Uh, it's it's probably a similar story to most of the guests, to be honest with you. I mean, mm-hmm. I started catching frogs and, you know, and lizards and things. My father got me into it when I was a small kid. We go out with buckets and stuff and we collect frog spawn and bring it home and sort of raise the tadpoles and then into froglets and sort of adding bits of land as as they go through the metamorphosis. And mm-hmm. then just family holidays and things. I was chasing geckos around in the middle of the night with a torch. Um I start I, I got my first pet lizard when I was seven years old. So that was must have been twenty six years ago now. Hmm. Um, it was an oscillated skink, one of the uh, Chalcides skinks from Europe. It was a, a burrowing skink, so a, it was a pet lizard, but I never really seen the thing because it was always under the dirt and stuff that I kept in the cage. And uh, from then I moved on to probably the worst pet one could ever get, a green iguana. So <laughs> <we> got, <laughs> I got this green iguana and converted a, a massive wardrobe in my bedroom into a big cage for it. And then it, as it grew older, it was a male. It attacked every friend that I brought round to the house and chased them out of my bedroom where I kept it. It got pretty territorial in the end, and uh, ended up giving it to some guy who had a who had a group, and he had the room and sort of facilities to take this thing on. And then since then, I never took on another iguana again, just because you know the the practical for the right people, but very um, impractical for the wrong people. Right. And from there, I uh, got corn snakes, uh, king snakes, hognose snakes, and then fell into ball pythons. 
and then that's where I started amassing a large collection of ball pythons and ball python morphs and um, imported stuff from the States. Hmm. And then I got, I think it was the first, it was the first um, bred in Europe of python curtis, the Sumatran short-tailed pythons at the time, it was being called black blood pythons. <laughs> and a friend, of my, a friend of mine in Scotland, Bob Simpson, he bred the first ones, got a large clutch of like over 30. And I bought a Sumatran short tail from him, and it went from there. I traded out some ball pythons and got a large pair of Borneo short tails, which were they, were, they weren't tame when I got them. Right. They, they, were, they were really <laughs> big, happy. and it was, yeah, I had this baby Sumatran short tail, and then these adult Borneos arrived, which were huge, and thrashing <laughs> around and spraying pee everywhere. And I sort of uh, I realized what I got myself into when you have got a lot of. <laughs> A large one of these that doesn't like people, then you know they can be a handful. But mm-hmm. after working with them and sort of understanding what the snakes need and what how they're looking at us as humans, you realise that you know they're very very easily worked with and very easily tamed down. You know, like most baby pythons and stuff, they start off snappy and aggressive, but with um, with domestication and several generations captive bred and stuff, they really do settle down. So what, what drew you to the uh, short tail pythons? Like what was the, what was the thing that got you to, to get on board with them? I think to be honest, it, it, it's probably the same thing. What everyone says about the, the short tails and the bloods. It's, it's that mm-hmm. impressive size that they've got. Plus they've got a, that classic Python head, you know, that big dragon head, but it's mm-hmm. a short, it's just, it's just, it's a manageable size snake. You know, it's not something that's going to need, you know, a 10 foot cage or anything like that. In fact, he seems to prefer the cages to be on the smaller side because they're quite sedentary and sort of ambush predators. And it, you know, they really are when, when they're handleable and when you've settled them down into your, your way of keeping and the right way of keeping them, they're, they're absolutely puppy dog tame snakes. Very cool. So the uh, what, what the market over there in the UK for short-tailed pythons, or at least just the world of short-tailed pythons over there, how does it differ from what we got over here in the states? Well, it's it's really small at the moment, especially in the UK, because there's there's just not that many people working with them. It seems to be opening up a lot more in Europe now, and it's quite easy for us in the UK to send and receive animals from Europe mm-hmm. and to Europe via the ham show. I mean, I've uh, a couple of, couple of snakes lately I've had over from ham through uh, a friend, Jesper London, Stefan, they sent me over a marble Borneo short tail and um, I got a black eyed matrix as well. So, which is a, uh, I've never seen another one like it. It's a, uh, it's a matrix blood, but it's got jet black eyes. It's pretty, uh, huh. pretty unique. That is awesome. Yeah. Do you think? Have you have you bred that? Have you tried to breed that? Is, is it genetic? It came yeah. out of quarantine a couple of weeks ago, and I stuck it with a with a female Hetzi positive because because the uh, the black eye matrix is a possible Hetzi positive, and he's only eighteen months old, but he was locked up in twenty minutes with her, so. <laughs> Jesus. So, so I don't know what so, yeah. does, does with the snakes over there. I think he's stuffing Viagra down the throats, but he, uh, <laughs> he he was locked up in 20 minutes, and he was locked up for a good 48 hours as well. So, 
Huh. I wonder if it's similar to uh, children's pythons, like the black-eyed children's pythons. It could be. I mean, iColor I seems to be an, an interesting one. I spoke to Tracy Barker a couple of mm-hmm. weeks ago, and she had um, one of the T-negative blood pythons. She's got um, a, a solid red-eyed one, but normally they have sort of like half red, half white, mm-hmm. the bottom half of the eye being white, and she's bred that and it seems to produce half the babies seem to have the solid red eye. So it, it's at least the dominant thing with the eye color in the T-neck that she's working with. But as we know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of different ball python morphs have different colored eyes right across right. the spectrum. And sometimes, you know, they do unlock genetic potential that way. So it's, it's a, a, I just look at it as, you know, just thinking around at the moment and we'll see what comes of it. Cool. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, let's let's talk about your approach to uh, keeping these guys. Um, you know, uh, caging, heating, feeding, all that kind of stuff. So, how do you break it down? Yeah, caging wise, I mean, I've tried the sliding glass vivarium approach, and mm. and that didn't really work for me. I found that the snakes were striking at the cage. You know, as you walk past the glass, they were sort of slamming their faces against the glass. And not only that, when you open the sliding glass cages as well, sometimes the vibration along the bottom of the cage was enough to set the animal off or, or twitch. Or, so I've, I switched everything to uh, home-built racking. I mean, the babies are start off in a five-litre sort of uh, plastic shoe box made by Iris Box. You can buy mm-hmm. them in Costco over here for, I think it's, it's about £24 for... 15 tubs so it's really economical and they're really good tubs as well you know really steady and they just slot into a baby rock no problem from there sort of like a yearling up to two years go into a nine litre tub and then sub adults go into a 33 litre and then um, there's like a big builder's tote that they do over here in the UK that, mm-hmm. that the adults go into I mean I've been looking at um, the vision bower racks and I'm actually uh, in discussions with buying a vision bower rack at the moment for uh, right. the larger yeah. ones. They seem to be the ideal size tub, especially for the larger. You know, when you're looking at a six foot blood pipe and that's, you know, 20 pounds plus, you know, they seem to be the way to go for them. Yeah, I know uh, I use vision and they're, uh, they're really good. Uh, it seems like yeah. with, I don't know. It seems like with short tails in particular that they seem to like those tubs and do better in tubs than uh, cages. Yeah. I know that some a lot of people don't like to hear that, but well, yeah. living in the UK, <laughs> I hear I, I I try and stay out of the arguments now online with it because it's just it's baffling the people that bash racking and bash tubs and you know they share those memes keep reptiles not Tupperware. And they just really, (laughs) you know, they don't understand what it is to give security and and actual privacy to an animal. That's a nervous animal anyway, you know. And if if you if you don't have a bioactive setup, you you know, you're not doing right by the animal. And you try giving one of these animals a bioactive setup, you're going to run into problems very very fast. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, that especially with big pythons. I mean, you pretty much have to have a room if you want to have a bi- yeah. bioactive substrate. I mean, it's, it's yeah. about a, 
all right, blood pythons don't go to the toilet that often, and you know, right. maybe six months or whatever. So you're going to have a bioactive substrate where you're not really feeding what's in there for that long length of time. You're just dousing everything with the liquid waste that comes out every couple of days from these things, and it really does smell. You know, yeah. I, use, I use newspaper and I, I screw up all the newspaper, chuck that in the bin, bleach the cage out, hose it out, and then that's what you need to get rid of that smell. No one wants to walk into a snake collection that absolutely reeks, and that's what you're going to walk into with with, with a bioactive setup. Yeah. Yeah. So with these guys, I mean, I talk to guys like, uh, you know, Matt and Keith and all them guys, and yeah. they, they, they talk about how important ventilation is. Do you do anything to make sure that, uh, I mean, yeah. are you just punching holes in the tub? or I'm punching holes all across the tub, down the length of the tub and down down each end of the tub as well, because airflow is a massive thing with these. I think, you know, I think for a long time we were sort of scratching our heads, wondering why pythons and stuff weren't doing too well, and especially blood pythons kept in a soggy cage with poor ventilation, you know, and that ammonia that builds up in the cage at the same time. And Keith's, and Keith has wrote some, you know, some brilliant passages about the level that the snake's sitting in. If you look at a blood python or a short tail, their head's like sat right down against the uh, the bottom of the cage. That right. wet level at the bottom with that ammonia rising is, you know, they're just sucking all that into the lungs and that's that's going, only going to cause problems, bacterial pathogens and stuff. And that's, that's where they're getting our eyes. It's not from dropping temperatures or, you know, having a draft or anything like that. It's really what they're breathing in through their lungs from a, from a stale environment. So airflow is a massive thing. And I often open the window in the room and just, plus I've got live plants in the room as well, the fresh air plants just to, just to get some fresh air in there and have, keep everything circulating. Nice. So yeah. do you have like uh ceiling fans or like fans that are just pushing through the room or? Yeah, I've got a, just a small desk fan that I switch on for a couple of hours a day just to push the air around, but I put it at the opposite ends of the window. So, I've got a large window uh-huh. in the snake room. I just crack gotcha. the window open. The air comes through, and then the fan blows it back again, sort of out through the room. So it seems to work pretty well. I haven't cool. I haven't seen a respiratory infection in my collection, I'd say, in about seven years. And that's, wow. that's about the time where I switched to what you guys call the Terry Phillip method, but the, the the Barkers and a lot of the other guys who are keeping Indonesian pythons and Southeast Asian pythons use it as well, the ambience only. So I keep my room 78 to 82 in Fahrenheit for you guys, which is probably what, 26 yeah. to 28 over here in the UK in Celsius. Right. And it, it just works perfect. I mean, I've got an oil-filled radiator in the room. I've actually got two on for each end of the room, so there's no sort of high and low spots. And that fan keeps the uh, the high and low spots from, you know, the the top of the room is basically the same temperature as the bottom of the room, minus you know 0.5 degrees or whatever. So, so the okay. fan the fan that you're putting in there, you're you're sort of what pushing it? Is it pointing just, down or is it pointing up? Yeah, it's pu- it's pointing down the fan. So it's gotcha. as the as the windows open. 
it's mm-hmm. the fan is above one of the oil filled radiators and that's blowing the heat back down again but it's only a small room so that circulates i have to have the fan on low otherwise everything's blowing around the room <laughs> right so right. it's just on a low setting and I can temp gun the top shelf of one of the the highest part of one of the racks and the bottom shelf, and there'll be like 0.5 degrees in it. So, yeah, I mean that. Do you? We can get into breeding in a little bit, but I'm just curious. Do you follow like a drop in temperature for breeding, or is it just do you follow a season? Because sometimes people that do like the ambient, they don't really follow a season, so to speak. Yeah, I mean. I do. I do follow a season because when, when mm. our days get shorter, that's when I'll start cracking the window open a little bit more, letting some cold okay. air in. It's like you had Lon on and he was talking about doing a, a room freeze out where he lets the room get cold for a couple of hours. Right, and yeah. He, and then he just lets it come back up naturally. And I do that myself and it really definitely, definitely does seem to stimulate the animals differently. From you know the first hour of doing that, you'll see the behaviour change or whatever they're picking up on the uh, the low atmospheric pressure outside with the window being open, and they really start behaving differently. You'll see males cruising the cage and stuff like that, and that's when I'll go in and I'll uh, spray the cage down as well. I'll never miss the animals directly because I just don't think it's necessary. But what I will do is is miss the corner of the rack, the uh, the tote that the snakes in. Just so mm-hmm. there's a there's a bit of a humidity increase in there as well. Okay. Have you noticed any uh, behavior changes when you switch from the like? I'm assuming at one point you were using some type of hotspot. Did you notice yeah, anything? I use, uh, yeah, I used to use belly heat. You know, just with uh, heat strips at the back. I've noticed a massive difference. My snakes instantly went calmer. You know, the feeding response on a hot blood or short tail python is is really, really, really fast. You know what I mean? It, and not only that, you'd open the cage when you weren't going into feed and these animals were just switched on or thrashing or aggressive and stuff like that. And I, I attribute that to having too hot a temperature. You know, the snakes were irritated. So bringing that temperature down seems to have just settled them more into how they'd be normally they weren't on edge or they were obviously were it must have been stress you know you, you you attribute that behavior to stress and i think right. it was just because that yeah. you know the back of the cage was getting to you know probably about 89 degrees or something like that so i think that was a bit too hot for them and they were net they were never sat on the back heat either they were always at the front pushing up against the front of the tub so you could tell that, that those temperatures they weren't happy. Gotcha. Okay. Do you do any kind of like uh, hide or anything for these guys? Or you just throw some paper in there? Or? Yeah, I mean, with the with with the babies and the sub adults and the juveniles that I'm raising up, I use the I just get the uh, disposable plant trays that you put under a plant pot. Okay. Yeah, yep. You sit nice and low, just and uh, you know the babies can hide and tuck themselves under there. I mean, they go through a bit of a say a teenage stage where they're quite quite snappy at a year old blood and short mm-hmm. tails but if you offer that for them then you don't have any problems with that it, it seems to settle them right down they really like to cram themselves under something 
Gotcha. Okay. That's cool. Do you do that for yeah. the adults as well, or just for the for the, for the adults now? The, I mean, the adults by the time they're adults, they seem to be really settled into you know your routine with the snake room mm-hmm. and the way you're keeping them themselves, and and they seem to recognise you. You know, you, you're opening the cage and they'll be sat there, and you'll see that eye sort of flicking back and forward, and they'll know when they're getting fed and they'll know when they're not getting fed just by the way you're interacting with them. You know, right. before pick, I take precautions before I pick up any large snake anyway. You know, I've got a couple of snake hooks there and I just tap the snake if I'm going to pick it up and then pick it up and, you know, everything's fine. You know, I've never been bitten by a blood or short tail python, so never. Clearly you're doing something right if you haven't yeah. been bit. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I've, I've been bitten by plenty of ball pythons, which is, you know, contrary to uh, what everyone expects. Holy, holy shit, man. They bite the <laughs> shit out of me all the time, man. It's the only python that bites me all the yeah. time. Like, why wouldn't you care? We're bills. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're at bills and we're handling chondros. And then I look and a ball python's like attempting to kill Eric. And it's like, really? So, yeah. Not them? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk a little bit about your approach to feeding. How do you feed these guys? Are you on a uh, – does this change – and also, I should ask this as well. Has it changed since you went to the ambient temperature as opposed Absolutely. to a hot spot? Okay. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, when I was using hot spots, the snake seems to metabolize the food a lot faster, which, you know, as temperature goes up, most animals do metabolize the food quicker anyway. But I uh, – and it's and it's with with a few of the like you had Warren Booth on and uh, who was the other guy Josh Josh a couple of weeks ago we were talking about snake metabolism and digestion and how it literally takes a few weeks for that whole process to restart again and mm-hmm. in captivity I think we all definitely were were a bit overbearing with feeding our snakes and I've always thought that I've kept my snakes quite lean and. There have been exceptions where I've got a Borneo short tail python female there that I literally haven't been able to breathe for the past three years. I've been trying, and every time you know I'm asking Keith for advice and Keith keeps saying, <laughs> no, "She's too fat. She's too fat. <laughs> <laughs> so she's a sausage. You want to uh, put her on a diet?" So this year I put her on a diet. So I was feeding her like literally a day old chick once a month just to get that weight off her, and she right. came down really quick. So I started pairing her up lately and then I put the food up again slightly and all of a sudden she's just gone fat again. So I don't know whether she's building follicles or whether she's ovulated and I've missed it or whether she's just throwing me around in circles again. But you've got to be really careful with the food with these things because the metabolism is so slow anyway. There's sensory ambush predator that I probably sit there on a scent trail and, and in uh, Malaysia or whatever, and they're probably waiting there for like a month or two at a time before they before they snatch anything up. So I think a weekly schedule is too much, especially for an adult. One of these things, and yeah. the babies I feed every every two weeks. Sometimes I'll even skip an extra week and put it to every three weeks, and it means I've got smaller babies compared to everyone else at you know at a year old or whatever. But I think the snakes benefit in the long term for it. These things, are, you know designed to live 30 40 years and they're not meant to croak when they're 15 years old and huge. no yeah you see it all the time with the ball python keepers and 
you've got like 1200 grand ball python and it's like eight months old and you're like how have you got that <laughs> <laughs> how is that snake yeah. outside already and it, it, it just bugs <laughs> me the, the snake's got a big fat bloated body and a tiny little head and oh but I can breed it when it's 1200 grams well you know give it three or four years even ball pythons when I was doing ball pythons I was raising ball pythons and I wasn't pairing them up until the fourth or fifth year, but just because mm-hmm. there's absolutely no rush. At, you know, we want these animals to live a long time. Right. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. You know, and so and it is a struggle. Yeah, it is a struggle too when you're going and you know everybody makes fun of my snakes being so small, but I don't know. Yeah. I think long term they're going to be healthier. You know. But that's it, you know, people talk and people say that guy doesn't feed his snakes, but it, that guy cares more for his snakes because he's not he's not completely cramming them with food. You look at yeah. the biology of the snake, they're not designed by laws, you know, to be eaten yeah. week in, week out. And it's like right. we had Ryan Young on, he said the schedule is the worst thing that you could do to your snake feeding wise. And it just is because life just doesn't work like that. In nature, right. you know, if one of these snakes in the wild, you know, a rat passes every week, then, you know, by their own innate nature, they're gonna they're gonna feed because they're preparing for times when they're not gonna eat. Right. Yeah, I think I think of a, a species like a walnut python, right? I mean, walnut python will eat like yeah, for, it will just eat and eat and eat. But if yes. you look at oh, where they're, they're the, from, uh, the quintessential dustbin snake, those. Oh my god, I love them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like they'll eat and eat and eat, but you're not supposed to feed them that way. And the reason no. I think that they eat like that is because they're good, they're opportunistic. So when yeah. some yeah. kind of food is coming along, they're going to take advantage of it, and maybe they'll eat five items over the course of a week, but they might not eat again for like two months. Yeah. You know, so (laughs) and they're very efficient at uh, you know, and I think short tails are the same way. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because I went around feeding all my snakes, and this is probably about last week before my Wilma had laid her eggs, and I offered her Mm -hmm. food. She bit it, wrapped it, and then left it. And I'm like, yeah, you're gravid. Like, it's going to happen soon because you would never refuse food. So (laughs) you know, and then. The day after she laid her egg, she's ripping around the cage. She's ripped yeah. up the paper. She's ripped up the box. And then I offer her food. She eats it, and she settles right back down. So it's kind of like on that level. I would Because uh, I've only had really one experience with a short tail, and it ended so wonderfully. I left it at Matt Minnetola's house. So, you know, that. You know, <laughs> so, well, at least you yeah. left it in good hands. Well, yeah, I kind of made him take it. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. True story. Yeah. Um, anything else you do uh, as far as husbandry that you think is important when it comes to uh, short tails? Uh, not really. I mean, it's all pretty. It's pretty basic and pretty boring. I mean, I keep everything simple, just because mm-hmm. it's it's easy to clean. I mean, I don't I don't cram my cages with with any of the stuff we were talking about before, like making a naturalistic sort of cage or anything like that. The only thing is it that changes is drawing and breeding when I'll take the paper out and I'll fill fill the uh, the tote up with uh, either sphagnum moss or you know slightly damp orchid bark just for the females to to lay their eggs on and have that humidity because I think when it's dry and there's only paper in there I think they're looking for a better nest site 
Occasionally, mm. I've tried putting nesting boxes in there with females, and they just they move them all around the cage, and then end up laying underneath the box or whatever. So, so I I, I quickly uh, scrapped that that idea. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, I want to talk about uh, some of your projects. In particular, I think we should start with this uh, really cool uh, batik that you hatched out—a super stripe batik. Oh uh, yeah, congrats, was, uh, <laughs> congrats on that! And uh, thanks, yeah, thanks. yeah, I was, uh, uh, I was pleasantly surprised with how those turned out. I mean, the female uh, super stripe that I bred—it was a boutique stripe line boutique pet team mm-hmm. positive male. Another one that I got him from Jesper Lund over in Denmark, and um, I thought, you know, what would make a decent pairing for this male? And because he was a stripe line, I knew I could make other super stripes with with the super stripe female I had. And she's seven years old, and I've never bred her before. So, again, taking me time raising that female up and stuff, I think paid off. I've got a nice clutch of 16 eggs. One of them had no vein development. Wow. I was expecting to get... To be honest, I'd, I'd ask for a few opinions, you know, on the forums and stuff like that, the Blood Pythons uh, forum. And a couple of the guys I spoke to said, no, you know, you're not going to be able to change that random back pattern that the batik has because it is a, a really powerful gene, the batik, and it, and it sort of breaks everything up that it's bred to. So I thought, you know, the stripe line batik I've got, you know, although you can sort of make out the stripe down the back a little bit on it, you know, is a super stripe really going to enhance that anymore? But mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was knocked out of the park when they hatched and it seems like a super stripe on its own seems to put like a tri-stripe and a uniformity down the back of the snake and sort of put everything sort of into rows and sort of along the back. So that's what seems to have happened with the batik. And it's you can sort of see on the super stripe ones that I've hatched, I think I've hatched five of them that I can definitely tell a super stripe batiks. There's like a, a center black stripe sort of trying to build with those flecks down the back. Plus it's... Um, on the neck pattern as well, there's a in a normal batik, the neck pattern's just freckled all over the place. But on the super stripe, you can see those freckles are sort of forming their own separate stripes again. So pretty cool, pretty interesting, and there's uh, still a lot of potential there. I wouldn't mind breeding it to a to a matrix and and uh, making a super stripe matrix. I think that'd be pretty yeah. cool. That would be nice. Yeah, but uh, sure. they're also those those babies are also fifty percent possible head T positives now. So is there's the uh the albino Batrix root or the super stripe albino batik root. There's a lot of things to do. I mean I don't own I, I don't own a golden eye yet. I would like to, to get a golden eye, but I think everyone's going down that route at the moment and it's nice to sort of set yourself apart and be a little bit different. So, you know, the batik and the golden eye make the pixels, which is just crazy. And if you look at Nick Bettini's <laughs> page, <laughs> yeah, that's my Some favorite the one, are, man. <laughs> the, the snakes next hatching out at the moment are just out of this world. It's like, you know, what flavor ice cream do you prefer? It's just beautiful. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's had some crazy looking pixels as well. And just every, every single clutch he has is just, you know, it just blows your mind what the, the, the potential that's there with these things. And I think that's what's opening doors to all the new the newcomers now. I mean a lot of people have contacted me lately, you know, looking to get 
get involved in blood pythons and there seems to be uh you know a lot of talk and a lot of buzz around the species as well so do you find that more people uh well i don't know how it is over there but uh are they moving away from like the bigger snakes i would imagine you guys can't really keep those big snakes yeah. right i think that's I mean, what casper yeah. was telling us for a couple of years, the reticulated python market sort of went boom over here in mm-hmm. the UK. And then all of a sudden you just, you know, people realized that they couldn't keep this 20-odd foot snake and they definitely couldn't keep 30 of them in a room of the house. And then all of a sudden you've seen them back on the classifieds pages and things like that for mm-hmm. a fraction of what, you know, their value was a couple of years ago. And then, you know, you know how things happen when the market crashes. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of bad blood and a lot of arguments <laughs> and stuff like that online and all of that. Now I just try and keep just try and keep out of it. Sometimes it's easier said than done. But yeah, you know, that's the truth. <laughs> I think I think market talk is one of the the biggest things I dislike about the hobby. But you know, then again, it brings people to the hobby as well. So. Mm. Yeah, I I found myself moving away from that as well. It's kind of like you're talking about, I I don't know. I I mean, like what we did last week with uh, Garrett, I think was a good way to approach the market. Like trying to put yourself out there as opposed to talking about this snake is worth that and that snake is worth it. You've got to sell sell yourself first before the snakes because, Mm -hmm. you know, you could be dealing with someone who's lifelong a lifelong relationship with someone who's going to be, you know, wanting these snakes and these projects from you. And you've got to come, you've got to look at how you come across. And if they see you bashing each other and stuff like that online all the time, then, then really, you know, you're only doing yourself a disservice and you're doing the hobby of the service as well. You know, we're all, yeah. most of us, we're in this, we're in the hobby, honestly. And we're in it because we love it. And you're only hurting the hobby when you when you're creating these dramas and stuff like that online. So sometimes you've just got to step away from the keyboard and crack open a beer or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Um, Just just hide in your snake room. Yeah. That's it. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. We lose sight of that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So what other projects you got? Um, What other projects? I mean, the uh, the stripe lined petite hetty positive. I've bred that to a another hetty positive. So hopefully I'm waiting for um, some stripe lined T positive petites. But I'm just waiting on that female to ovulate now. She's looking like she's building, so that could be good. Um, I've got a couple of um, hetty negatives that were from Banker Bloodline Animals. The uh, the original female that they were from she was a pure banker a high red one banker island and uh they both got like jet black heads and they're really red well the male you'll see him at the top of my page he's he's like blistering red and especially when you take him outdoors and look at him under natural light the reds on him are fantastic i mean everyone oh. wants a red look white and you know and you you get you know even for the morphs that you put up you get twice as many comments on just the natural high red ones. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot to be said for selective breeding and 
are really working to bring the red out in these things. And if you look at Cara Norris's, some of the, the reds that she's got, they're just completely out of this world. And they're better than any morph. Any morph, you, you could put one of those high reds against any any morph combination and they probably knock it out the water. Yeah, I mean, that. Uh, so we're talking about uh, Northwest Constrictors UK at the top of yeah, your page. The there's... <laughs> There's a blood python that, you, 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 again, you're saying red, but, you know, I don't know if you're doing the snake justice, man. That snake <laughs> is. <laughs> Holy shit. That is an well, awesome snake. Well, he's had teen egg as well, so can you imagine the teen eggs that that thing's going to make? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Get your sunglasses <laughs> ready, boys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Holy shit. <laughs> So is yeah. that typically what you find over there, or is that hard to find over there? An that, animal that's like that? hard to find. I uh, I paid good money for those, even when they were hatlings. I think I paid two thousand pounds for the pair. So that was a that was a big cost, but you know, you pay for quality, and that's what you get. I think a lot gotcha. of people want something for nothing these days, and for the really nice stuff, you know, a lot of time and effort has gone into making those animals. And a lot of selective breeding and generations of, you know, working with the best. And if you look at Cara's page again, you know, she's got like fourth generation animals now, which she's selected and cherry picked and worked through. And and the results speak for themselves. She's got some knockout red stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, then, you know, again, it, you know, it, Recent, well, today actually, I shared a thing of some of my IJ selective breeding pairings that I'm, I'm oh, damn, I said IJ. Damn it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's pop one carpet, Sonny. No, yeah. no, let damn me it. mess up. It's great every time. <laughs> so, anyway, but, anyway. Uh, you know, when you, when you think about those, the selective breeding hasn't been done. And, like, I think, I think the mindset in the hobby industry whatever you want to say is is like you get a morph and you're just trying to yeah. reproduce that morph and you know very few people uh really go to the effort of selecting and refining just oh, the yeah. normal and then when you yeah. have that normal that's incredible and you put the morph to it oh man that's when you really stand out you know i mean exactly <laughs> exactly and i think that's why nick's nick's morphs that he's making at the moment are uh, are just absolutely mind-boggling because he's 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 been selective and careful about every single pair and he's made and it you know and hats off to him for doing that and sometimes you've got to shelf an animal for a few years or you've got to wait for another clutch or wait for the right animal to pair you know the specific to, just to get to the goal that you you want to achieve with them. Yeah, I look at a red blood pipe and like. Like a like a jungle carpet. You mean there's there's trophy animals out there, but you know, a lot of the time to, to make them trophy animals, you've got to sort of you're making a lot of lesser quality stuff and <laughs> and picking the cream of the crop again. Yeah, look, you yeah. Build it up. don't look the best until you know the the second year. They're they're a lot like jungle carpets in that way. Then reds really don't come out as a true red color until the second year. With that being said, do you hold a lot back for that first year, or do you have a way to look at them and kind of get an idea of what what it's going to look like? Yeah, I mean, from the the high red ones that are bought and 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 
the ones that I had last year, which have still held what I think are the best back, then you can sort of see what you're looking for now. I mean, a lot of it comes out in in the new in the, the neonates like a black or a really dark brown, but that's what you really want to look for because that's going to be what pops and what really turns into that red coloration. I put a photo up uh, on my page the other day of one that I hatched last year, and it was from that male at the top of my page that you see the head T negative, uh, the really red one, and he was bred to another sort of purplish-looking red one, but she's got this metallic black head and a striping down it. Right. And, and the baby's got a stripe in it as well, so I've kept that one back, and it's already looking red, and it's not... It's eight months old, you know what I mean? So... I can't imagine what that... Lon actually commented and said, that thing in a year is going to be nuts. So if Lon says that, then, you know... Yeah, trust <laughs> Lon. Yeah. Trust Lon. Yeah. 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 I'm trying to find that. He's just uh, got some inland eggs as well. I mean, I used to have inland yeah. and I'm with Which, some snakes. They, you know, they, they, were, uh, they were definitely a favorite of mine. The Metcalfi. Mm-hmm. Oh, heck yeah. They're cool snakes. You know, they're, I, they're probably my favorite out of the carpets by far. And I didn't want to send any money to Lon this year, and then he does that. <laughs> you know, and I, like, I, I got Savus from him last year, and I'm like, good, now Lon can go over there. And then he and I, he keeps, he got the Colubrid bug like I did, so he keeps texting me all these, like, I just picked up these really cool snakes that no one else but you cares about. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then and then he drops inlands that I don't have. So, yeah, you know, it's difficult. Anyway, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> Graham, can you um, walk us through your approach to breeding your short tails? Uh, when does it start, and uh, how do you get them ready for the season? Yeah, I mean, as I say, I use ambient temperatures, but at the same time, when we get shorter days over here in the UK, looking at towards the end of September, that's when I'll start cracking the window open a little, a mm. little more, just for a couple of hours a day, letting the animals feel a little bit of cold coming through, and then I'll close them up again. And then I'll start pairing at the end of September. And I mean, last September, I, I, I paired a few animals, and within half an hour, they were locking. When normally I would have thought, you know, leave that until November, October sort of time, but these seems to really catch on as soon as them out, them daylight hours get shorter it really seems to switch the animals on i think uh, a light cycle is really important with these things i mean you know yeah. where the where they come from the temperature is pretty much the same if you look at the uh the climate over there it, it stays pretty much you know around that 28 degrees mm-hmm. you know humidity changes and they have a monsoon period and stuff like that but you can replicate that by misting the cages down things like that when you get low pressure systems and stuff, I think that's the key time to to put your pairs together. Sometimes you'll get a male that seems a bit, you know, a little bit reluctant to breed, and you can put him with in a box with another male, and they won't they won't um, they won't combat like a carpet python or a ball python will, but they'll shove each other around the box a little bit and then get hmm. themselves fired up, and then after you know, 12 hours or something, you can put them with the respective females, and that seems to really bring them on as well. And sometimes males just won't go until, like, the fourth or fifth year. I've had that as well. And males just, you, you won't see anything from them, and then all of a sudden, it, it's a timing thing again. And 
you know, I could probably rush them males by feeding the crap out of them, but like we discussed earlier, I just won't do that, you know. I'll take the yeah. time, and when they're ready, they'll let you know. Yeah. So when you start, like, opening the window and cooling them down, uh, how fast do you cool them, and what temp are you trying to get them down to? I literally just open the window in the room and let let the temperatures come down, probably by about by about five, six degrees, and then I'll close the window again and let it come back up. I mean, I don't okay. knock the, uh, the oil fill radiators in the room. I don't knock them down. They stay that temperature, but the cold air coming through the window will mm-hmm. often knock the temperature of the room down. Then you close the window and it'll come right back up again. But just a little chill coming through the window seems to be enough to switch them off. Okay. And uh, when do you do introductions? When do you uh, put the boys in with the girls? And do you always put boys in with girls? Again, it's it's late September. I mean, I, mm. I try it both ways. Sometimes I'll put, for the most part, I'll put the boy in, in the girl's cage because usually she's in the bigger cage and they've got more room to sort of to work it out in there. But sometimes the male's got his territory in one of those 33-litre cages and Mm-hmm. You have to put a bigger female in one of them, and sometimes they like to be boxed up really tight in those boxes together. So, so that can work as well. That's the male's territory. You know, you just introduce the female to it, and he's right. sort of uh, he's dominant in his own cage. Sometimes you can take a male like that, and you can put him in with a female who's a bit bigger than him, and it can, you know, it can put him off his uh, put him off his game. So, okay, yeah. Uh, do you any, kind of trick them any other way other than the uh, putting the boys in the same box? Have you used uh, sheds or yeah, scenting or anything like I've that? Used, uh, the wet shed trick mm-hmm. from uh, from another male. Sometimes I'll put what I'll do is a, a male will shed out or whatever, and I'll bag that up, put it in the freezer, or I've done it in a spray bottle of water as well. Or sometimes I'll just take that soggy shed once he's shed out, mm-hmm. and I'll throw it in the male's cage that I want to breed. And you can see that male smelling it right away. <laughs> and, it, it, you know, he's not happy that that shed skin's in there. And then a couple of hours later, you'll take that male out and you'll put him in with the female that you want him to breed with. And, you know, I'd say seven or eight times out of ten, that's going to work and, and trigger that male. Okay. Um, for ovulations like what do you do you see them ovulate or is it after a couple locks the female just kind of explodes and what are you kind of looking for with that yeah i mean it, i think it all depends on the females some females you know you can see that build really well in them if mm-hmm. you've got that sort of lean body mass you can see that build you know a month before they're even going to ovulate you can pick them up and you can see sort of a wow in the profile and then you'll give them a couple of extra larger feeds and, you know, a few weeks later or whatnot, they'll ovulate. But some females, you know, have a little bit more fat about them and it's a little bit harder to tell. And then out of the blue, you'll go in there and go, wow, where did that come from? And who stuck in here and fed me snake? But, um, yeah, I think it all depends on the female. I mean, some females are a bit longer and leaner and some are shorter and fatter. And I think in the longer and leaner ones, you can see the ovulations a lot easier. I've never mm-hmm. been able to palpate follic- follicular development in, in a blood python. They're just too large. You know, you can't get your fingers in there because you don't want to damage the snake anyway. But right. when, when they are building towards an ovulation, you can feel that 
you know, the mass of the snake sort of starts to pack out as you put your hand around it and you can feel, you know, it's like it's like a tire that's being inflated. Mm-hmm. So uh, with the, when do you begin to, I know you said like you just kind of cool them down by opening up the window and letting it all cool down. Do you have a, a warm up or do you just like stop opening the window? Yeah, just basically stop opening the, opening the window. I mean, <laughs> Uh, the first ovulation I've seen this year was probably it was probably around Christmas. That's the clutch that I've just had, the Super Striper T clutch, and I thought, you know, that's really early. You know, I've never had an ovulation that early before for many snakes, so, so that won't. But again, the introduction started in September with that animal, and she was locking up in September, so maybe her cycle just fell into an earlier pattern than the other yeah. animals. I mean, I've still got animals locking up now that haven't ovulated yet. So, so there is a big time window. You know, you have got a lot of time with these animals, and I think you know they'll breed at any month of the year, really, provided really? you know, provided you've got the food, or provided they're in a routine in your room or whatever. Then, they, you know, they'll breed in any month of the year. That I wouldn't say they're the most seasonal pythons there are. That's awesome. I mean, I, I never would have pegged it as like a breed them year round, but I guess if the conditions are correct, anything can be bred year round. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, I found when I, I did, I used to keep carpet pythons and jungles and coastals and stuff, and I found mm-hmm. them to be really seasonal. You know, you'd sort of feed them up over the winter, and then in the spring, they'd all be breeding around the same time, and then you get eggs around the same time, but. It just doesn't seem to work with these. Or with ball pythons. I mean, I keep ball pythons in the same room with the blood pythons now. Mm. And I keep them exactly the same way. And most ball python keepers now look at me and go, what, you just use ambient temps only? (laughs) Uh, And I say, yeah, Mm. and it works. And I have perfect fertility as well. That's one thing. I I, I just don't get slugs. And I attribute that to... I mean, in the in the Barker's ball python book, they talk about slugs being premature ovulation brought on by right. temperature. And I think temperature can do two things. I think it can cause follicles and a hormonal sort of temperature-induced hormonal change in a female where she puts them follicles through for fertilization early. Right. So an early ovulation when they're not at size, so you're going to get slugs. And I think... Temperature also kills the sperm that, that's being stored in the snakes as well. Right. And I think I think at ambient temperatures only where they don't have the opportunities to go and bask in, either kill that sperm that they're storing or or make those follicles develop at too fast a rate. I think that's where that perfect fertility sort of falls in. And people yeah. sp- people go on, you know, you're not providing your snake with a choice of temperature or you know yada yada, and I just. I say, well, the temperature naturally fluctuates in the room up and down anyway, and the snakes, the snakes do everything perfectly within them temperature ranges. You know, there's a lot to be said for that for that Terry Phillip episode that you guys had him on a few years ago. Yeah, I often still go back now and listen to that, and everything he says just makes sense. You know, the guy knows what he's doing. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, I'm, I'm not sure how it works for other species, but. But definitely for uh, for most pythons that I've worked with, that really works. Yeah. So, 
when it comes to uh, eggs, what are you uh, – obviously, she's a python, so she's going to coil them around. Do you leave them with mom, or do you take the eggs uh, and throw them in the incubator? Yeah, I go artificial at the moment. I mean, I haven't tried – I haven't tried maternal incubation with a, with a blood or short tail. I've okay. done it with a ball python, and that – you know, it worked, it worked fine. But I've never seen a blood or short tail sat perfectly on a on a clutch of eggs. You see, <laughs> they seem to just spill them everywhere, and they you know they lay large clutches and stuff like that, and uh, they just seem to sp- spread the eggs everywhere or just loosely coil around them. And I mean, they could be fine in there, but I don't like my eggs to take ninety to ninety days to hatch or whatever. I'm sure they probably would hatch at those lower temperatures just in the room, but uh, that's you know probably an extra month onto the incubation time. And, you know, you don't want to risk developmental issues either no. with, the, with developing embryos. So I take them out and I, uh, I artificially incubate them. I've got a, a wine cooler that's converted into an incubator. It's got um, a couple of small desktop fans in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just incubate in boxes with the... Uh, with wet vermiculite, just to the point where all the moisture is squeezed out, mm-hmm. and uh, old school all the way, and it and it really works. You know, back and, I remember incubating eggs back in the old days when I was breeding corn snakes, and I was probably fourteen at the time. And I remember mm-hmm. reading up on the old incubator designs, and as you were talking about earlier, Eric, with the uh, with those sim hatch containers where you t- tilt them up and let the water run down. Mm-hmm. I had this. Uh, I had an incubator built out of an old fish tank with a water heater in there. You'd have the eggs sort of sat on a suspended shelf. And then what I'd do is silicon a sloping roof above the egg box. So any humidity and condensation that hit that sloping roof would just slide back down, back into the water reservoir down the bottom. But I think I I stole that idea out of a book that was probably printed (laughs) in the 1970s or something, but it really... (laughs) It worked, and you you know every single corn snake egg used to hatch perfectly in them. It still works. Why not? I mean, yeah, you know, it's just stops the water dripping on them eggs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, you do get condensation on the egg boxes towards the end of incubation now. But what I do is I just I just bird the container and wipe the lid off, and then put it back, and then everything's everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And the eggs, I incubate them at around eighty-eight point five. Sometimes okay. the uh, the incubator will go back down to eighty eight, but I'd rather have it on the uh, the cooler side than the hotter the hotter end because that's where you run into problems with development or whatever. And um, they hatch around sixty one, sixty two days. Here's here's a question for you: Do you cut or do you not cut? I find myself I'd promised myself that I was not going to cut an egg this year. Yeah. Um, do you cut I, or not cut? I, I usually wait for the first baby to pip and then I'll just cut a straight line across the top of each egg just so everyone's got an escape hole. But I'm not I'm not going in there and, you know <laughs> digging hook, them out. Hooking <laughs> the Ripping them out, out. yeah. <laughs> burst, bursting that membrane or, you know, playing with the giant yolk sack that they've got. I mean look at some of the photos that you see on these Facebook groups. There's one um there's one a blood python one in uh, in Indonesia mm. called Daipong Lover Indonesia, and mm-hmm. uh, some of the Indonesian guys are 
are yanking the babies off the eggs. Or they're obviously seeing what guys in the States are doing with the ticks or whatever. And you can see this massive brain of yolk still in there in the egg with the baby. Aww. And they're, and they're and they're pulling the baby out as well. And you're just thinking that yolk's just going to go rock hard, or you know that, that baby's going to die. And and they're hatching some weird looking snakes out over there, but. You know, you wonder whether or not they're cutting at the right time or what's going on or whether or not they're making hybrids or, or whatnot. Yeah. So, sorry, Just Owen. Green I whatever to, with whatever. Yeah, I wanted That's to jump fine, in real, real quick again. Like, um, you talked about, uh, you know, like that yolk going hard. Have you ever had, like, the hard belly uh, issue and... <laughs> Have yeah, you... I've had it. I've had it with ball pythons. I've never had it with uh, with blood pythons. I mean, I used okay. to cut ball pythons early, you know, slightly early. I'd say, you know, mm-hmm. five days before the due date, just because I was, you know, young and eager to right. see what was in there. <laughs> sure. But you mm-hmm. learn from your mistakes, and 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 it was a mistake because you only ever encounter problems from cutting early. You don't encounter problems if you just let the eggs go full term. So patience, you know, patience is important with these things. I understand a lot of people, you know, are, are really intrigued to see what's inside the eggs and stuff. But just give them a couple more days, and they'll they'll show you themselves. Sure. Yeah. Cut, so, cutting eggs early definitely leads to uh, that hard yolk or the yolk not being absorbed properly and hard belly, and then you've got to go through the rigmarole of manually palpating that thing out of the snake itself. So, Yeah, and it's better to catch it earlier than later. I think I don't know oh, where yeah. I saw that. Somebody was talking about that today. That's why I kind of brought it up. So Yeah, I think Ryan got a, a baby born here with a large with a large yolk in its belly and he was a bit worried about whether or not that would be digested in or Oh yeah, that's where it's on. Mm. Yep. Yeah. It. Sorry, Owen. That's okay. It's what we do. But, um, <laughs> Graham, how do you, uh, uh, can you kind of go through how you set up the babies for like their first, uh, I don't know, couple weeks and all the way through probably their first year? Yeah, sure. I mean, I wait until everyone's hatched out first and everyone's absorbed whatever they've absorbed. And for the most part, these things don't leave the eggs for a couple of days until, mm-hmm. you know, things start to smell in there and you've literally got to, you know, tease them out of the egg because it's just dry in there and it's just, you know, all that goo's gone hard and it's not a very pleasant smell. So <laughs> I'll just rinse, I'll rinse the babies off under, uh, under, under, under the faucet and um, then I'll set them all up individually right away. I mean, that's, I, I rinse them off, sex them for the first time I sex them because, you know, you want to double and triple check with them because they really are hard mm-hmm. to set. And I'll set them all up in those five-liter uh, iris boxes individually, the shoe boxes, and put them in a baby rack again in the snake room, ambient temps, and just and I'll, they'll, they'll have a small deli cup of water and a little high box. Most Well, the clutch that I just set up, I haven't put high boxes in there yet, and they seem to be doing well. I mean, they're out, they've been out the eggs nine days, and I tried feeding them last night, and eight of the 15 took defrost right away. <laughs> So, wow. Oh, wow. So that was, yeah, that, yeah. That was the best results I've ever had. And all I did was go in there with some wrap ups that I'd heated up with a hairdryer off long tongs at night in the dark. 
had a small lamp in the room so we could see what it was doing. But they just snatched snatched them right away. I mean, a few of them were were biting the biting the wrap ups defensively, but eight of those fifteen took defrost right away. So I think we're off to a good start with those. Yeah, that's a great start. Yeah, and I just keep them on paper towels. You know, if, if they mm. spill the water, I don't mind because they seem to, as babies before the first shed, they dehydrate quite quickly. Mm-hmm. So uh, the skin can look really wrinkly, and it can look wrinkly if you've got them too wet or too dry. So you don't mind if a bit of that water gets spilled, and even if it's in there for a couple of days, you'll go back in and change it and put a dry layer down again and then change the water out. And fresh water okay. must with these things as well because they really drink a lot of water. And if it's a couple of days old, the water, they won't drink it. So you've got to keep on top of the fresh water, you know, no one, these yeah. snakes don't like to drink a stale water dish that's been in there for a few days that's come up to room temperature. Yeah, so, a couple times. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Owen. That's all right. I mean, like, I know that I know that uh, with Matt, what what little I do know about when his bloods and stuff like that, they do get dehydrated quick. Um, have you ever used anything other than newspaper, say, like moss or mulch yeah. or something like that? Yeah, I've used the sphagnum moss a couple of times. Okay. I just just grab a handful of it, squeeze the excess moisture out, and just shove it right to the back of the tub. So they've got sort of a half and half, you know, paper mm-hmm. towels half and a, and a moss half. And the tricky feed is that will help as well because they'll bury themselves under that moss, stick the tip of the nose out, and it adds to that security that they've got. They like to feel that mm-hmm. on top of them. You know, in the wild, these things like sort of bury themselves under palm fronds and piles of brush piles. You know, in these palm plantations yeah. and on riverbanks and stuff like that, these dry palm fronds are really good hides. So you sort of mimic that. But, you know, in, in the tubs, then, you know, it definitely adds to, to the security. And you'll see the head sticking out when they're hungry, that tongue's flicking away in that classic sort of ambush pose. That's when you know it's time to go in there of an evening with your, uh, with your warmed-up prey item. Awesome. Sorry, Eric. Go ahead. It was you had a. Uh, no, I forget what I was gonna ask. Damn it! <laughs> uh, uh, shoot. No, I can't remember. I lost it. Oh, it's My all fault. it's all you now anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> so um, yeah, you're talking about sex in them, and I noticed when I was looking through your Facebook page that you had this uh, post about macro lenses that you use to help with sex in them. Um, oh yeah. What's the deal with that? It just, it just, it takes the second guesswork out of it. I mean, you can get these little clip-on macro lenses, and they work great on a camera phone. You can buy them off Amazon or whatever, and you can hold that against either the sink gland or the hemipene when you're averting. And mm-hmm. you can go back and look at it again later, and just and just double check. And then I I always double and triple check these things anyway, so I'll sex them right out of the egg. Then I'll go back a month later and, and pop them again. And then, again, usually after the first shed, I'll pop them again. And you'll see, because sometimes they might start out thin and pink, but a couple of months down the line, they look really purple and thick. So, you know, you've got it. But, again, some of them you can tell right away that it's a male and some of them are in between. Okay. Yeah. 
I have uh, this time of year. Well, maybe in a couple of months, it's, uh, it's always a fun time for me. Cause I get to go over and hang out with Matt and, uh, oh, yes. <laughs> sex, sex all those baby bloods and get bit and pissed on and, <laughs> you know, fun. That's, that's yeah. Good time, yeah. <laughs> We're audio media. People can't see the air quotes. You're doing like fun. Oh yeah. It's so much fun. It is. So, Listen, man, yeah. like, I mean, <laughs> you're going to the guy, like one of the biggest Borneo breeders in the U.S. And you're going to his house and you're able to hang out with him and pick his brains on how he does stuff. I mean, all you do is get bit and pissed oh, yeah. on and all that other crap. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's a trial by fire. <laughs> yeah. Did you, uh, you know, did you guys see that, that Marble Borneo we posted the other day on X, the Extreme yes. Marble? Oh, yes. What a sight yeah. We saw him tiny, yeah. I, I, I said Her. to Matt, that's going to be one of the greatest pictures of a female snake on eggs I've ever seen. She is absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that snake is wild, man. And I can't wait to and see it, what hatches out from yeah, that. Yeah, that's going to be cool. You know? Yeah. Oh, my God. How, how far can he take those, those extreme marbles? It's a testament to his hard work, how they appear now that, you know, because... I remember the the marble twenty years ago, and those things now just they've come on so far. Yeah, it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning about the selective breeding, and you know, just making yeah. sure that you know not just producing a morph, you're taking it to the next level or trying to refine it and make it better. And like, I mean, he does the same thing with his Ocelot project, and yeah, you know, I know I noticed a lot of the blood blood and uh, short tail community. Uh, they seem to be dialed into that type of thing. And I guess it's the variability of these, this, yeah. these species in particular. I mean, it must be like the greatest thing ever hatching them out, huh? Like you, you don't know find, what you're going to yeah. get. <laughs> you can find something that you like in, you know, in one snake or a couple of snakes and, and really work towards that. And it works, yeah. you know, I've got that, that one with a really jet black head and I'd like to make, extreme versions of that, you know, where, I, where I'm hatching a whole clutch of these bloods, which have got really black heads right out, right out of the egg. I mean, usually the head core takes a couple of years to develop, but her clutch in the first in the first generation seems to have darker heads already, so maybe that's something that I can go with with, with that, and I do intend to, to, to work with that as well. But there's a lot of things, you know, the striping and stuff, and, you know, eye color and head color and things like that just things that are on a morph that you can enhance without even going down the route of you know mendelian genetics you can work with that yeah and then the cool thing is is that nobody else really can replicate that you know i mean no, if you yeah. work on a project you're kind of like you you not say you know you're creating your own sort of lineage aren't you and it's and everyone <laughs> knows you know that guy produced that like embryo yeah. coastals, you know, you look at one of them and you just know where it's come from, what lineage it's come from. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or, or the gamma line jacks and stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, sometimes uh, okay. Takes, sometimes it can, it can take 10 years for those things to, and to come to fruition, but that's where patience comes in. And if you can't wait 60 days to... Good point. Yeah. <laughs> you can't wait two more days for the baby to come out of the egg on its own. You know, it's yeah. yeah. 
So, Patience is definitely a, uh, a, an important aspect of this hobby. <laughs> so I'm curious with um, when it comes to handling these guys, do you handle them regularly or is it you just kind of like hands off approach to uh, no, keep I, it? I, I, I handle them, you know, a couple of times a week. I just I go in there because, you know, I'm, I'm constantly cleaning and stuff anyway because, you know, I, I just like to keep on top, top of those things. I go in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll tap the snake with a hook and then the next minute I can pull it out and work with it. And it's not just mm-hmm. working with it for a couple of minutes. I can take that snake downstairs, go and make a cup of tea or whatever and, you know, and go and just walk around. It's not like the snake gets fed up after a couple of minutes of that. You know, they really seem to understand what's going on. And I think that's just just the animal again, getting used to your routine. And as I say, the babies start off snappy. You know, right. you're mm-hmm. a python, that's what they're, they're programmed to do. But sure. After a couple of months of, of just hooking the little baby out and putting it on a warm hand, or if you've got an, you know, an extremely snappy one, you can wear a glove if you're worried about getting bit, but you just sit it on the palm of your hand. And it doesn't see anything as a as a potential threat. Unless you're looming over it with your face, then it's not going to strike out. It's going to wonder what the hell's going on. But you reinforce that positive interaction by just putting the animal down again and, and putting it back. And at right. in time, after five or six five or six interactions like that, you know, the, the snake stops striking at you. There are right, exceptions gotcha. to the rule. I've got one um I've got one really high met red matrix that I got in a trade probably about six months ago. The guy brought it around and he said he was petrified of it and you could tell that he hadn't handled it much. And um I just hooked it out of its tub and put it on my hand and said, this is what I do with it. And he could mm. see that it wasn't striking sort of thing. But he said, you know, blood pythons weren't for him sort of thing. So I traded him a couple of ball pythons for a pair of uh, Matrix Hepsi negatives. So oh, wow. I think oh, I got the sweet God. end of that deal. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, cool. So do you only work with, do you work with the Sumatrans or no? I'm waiting on the right pair of Sumatrans, to be honest. I've been looking around and wanting to buy a pair for a while, but I'm, the ones in Europe, you don't really get those jet black ones. Ah. You look at the ones, the ones that Carter or Lon have, have made in the past, and they're just jet black with those really red eyes. Yeah, and, yeah uh, unbelievable. I'm just waiting for someone in Europe to do a really, really stellar pair because with them, again, it pays to be selective. So I'd rather bide my time and find the right ones. Okay. And there aren't a lot cool. of people working with the yellow Edicatus either, which I think by the time the new Barker book comes out, I think they're going to be separated into a different species. But but I'm not too sure about that yet. But there aren't too many of the yellow Edicatus in Europe. But... No. When I can't find a nice pair, I think I'll try and get my hands on some of those as well. Now, are they the same ones that we refer to as the pumpkin head Sumatra? Yeah, they're the ones, yeah. Okay, yeah. gotcha. I love yeah. them things, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure they're going to be separated into at least a subspecies because they stay smaller and, you know, there's definitely a, a different look to them. Yeah, apparently, I would agree. Apparently, they're geographically isolated, you know, from the other population as well, so... Right. It's probably if it's not a new species or a subspecies, it's on its way to being one. You know. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Yeah, I mean, you. I mean, I've seen some of those as adults, and I just had to. I, you don't really see them over here too much in um, in the states. I couldn't find anything on them until yeah. uh, I hooked up with Trace Harden at Tinley, and it was like, yeah, he's got some nice ones. I'm never going to be able to find these again. Break out the credit card. <laughs> 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 oh, Owen's oh, yelling at me. What did you when do? they come at me. Yeah, well. man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't wait. You can't wait for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, do you have a, a favorite of the of the group? Do you do you like one over the other, or you like them all the same? To be honest, I, I, I really love the Borneos, and I don't know what it is. I mean, it's essentially the same shape and you know size and stuff like that. It's just they they seem to have a, a better person, like more personable than the the Broncos my are. I don't know whether mm-hmm. that's just because you can see that eye moving and looking around at you a bit more. So you sort of, you know, you're developing a bond with that snake just by it. You can see it looking at you more or or whether it's just just the, the colour and stuff of them in general. I mean, the variety of Borneos that you see now is just so, so far from what it was 15 years ago. And, you know, you put that down to guys like Keith McPeak who've just, sort of taken the ball and ran with it and, and created all these amazing different lineages and and colours and you know, stripes and stuff and, and those the marbles, the extreme marbles now as well. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just something else. Yeah. So oh yeah, I'm looking at uh so what kind of you're working with the what are you working with as far as the Borneos go? The Borneos, I've only got three Borneos at the moment. I've got a pair of UK line super ultra brights, which I've okay. paid money for for those as hatchlings. And I tried breeding them together for three years, the past three years, and nothing came of it. So that's why I've recently got a really, really stellar marble in from Europe, from Stefan. So he's that, that marble's been locking up with um, with my female super uh, UK line super ultra brights. So I'm just waiting on her to ovulate, but I've been speaking to Keith and he thinks she's with eggs at the moment. So we'll wait and we'll wait and see. She's not really giving me the signs, but she's given me the runaround for the past three years, this female. So (laughs) hopefully this is the year where to crack that one. (laughs) If I get Borneo eggs this year, I'm I'm literally going to chew. I'm going to hit the roof. (laughs) I mean that is pretty cool when you breed a new species, right? You 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 sort of like oh yeah, check it off the list, and you're like yeah, that's, that's oh cool. yeah. It's yeah, just you sure. know that you're gonna get that variety in the babies as well, and mm. you know you you're gonna find something different about every single one of them, and you know you're gonna have to hold them all back. <laughs> yeah, and then you got the whole Borneo genetics and how they work. It's just like <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> You want to talk about your mind hurting? Holy shit! You oh know? God! Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think I gave I up a long time ago with that. You know, you've got people saying marbles are dominant, people saying they're recessive, people saying you know things are polygenic or whatever. And I, the way I look at Borneos now is what hatches hatches, you know. Right. Pick the one you like. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I was just cruising through your uh, through your Facebook page again, and I was just found the picture of that black-headed uh, 
blood. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool. Wow, that is sharp. I'm going to share that in the chat so everybody can see. Uh, On some days, her head will look like uh, it'll look like one of the southern white lips. You know, it's really it's it's iridescent black. When you get her awesome. in, in natural light, she's just amazing to look at. Wow. Yeah, that is cool. Good. And good it's pictures like, too. It's, yeah. it's like gunmetal black her head. It's it's really hard to describe. And that's not really normal for blood. I don't no. remember. No, I, yeah, I can't remember seeing anything like that. So, but she's a huh. weird looking snake anyway. She's got sort of like silver, silver stripes on the side, like on the shoulders going down. And, right. Um, she's got like this sort of ox blood purplish color to her. She's she's very interesting. Cool. And then uh, I was she's curious. Actually, she's on. She's on day 36 uh, after a prelay shed at the moment. I bred her to a T positive. So oh, really? Open to hatch, yeah, some hat T positives with, uh, with those looks and see what we can work with that. That's cool. Yeah, that would but be she really throws cool. stripes as well. So in the end, you know, there could be some sort of super stripe project with the T positive in it down the line. Who knows? Wow. Yeah. Good stuff, man. That's Good awesome. stuff. That's awesome. So um, <clears throat> I'm curious, um, do you work with any other type of pythons besides the short tails and the ball pythons? Yeah, I've got um, I used to have a lot of Morelia and uh, I sold up my collection of jungle carpets and mm-hmm. uh, the coastals and the inlands several years ago. But I recently got a pair of bredles from a friend in the UK, Martin Gregory. And he's... Um, nice. He's got some stellar bread line, and um, they're, they're turning out really nice now, the yearlings, and uh, I'm just taking my time raising them up. And I think with those, I'm going to have them in a nice display vivarium downstairs. I'm going to have a couple, you know, two vivariums side by side in the living room so so guests and stuff can come and peer at them when they come around to the house. And right. Sort of a show, showpiece in the lounge of the house. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Talking you, you about like- uh, Morelia, um, my girlfriend's cousin recently moved from from around here. Actually, she moved to New South Wales, and she knows I mm-hmm. love snakes. So um, my girlfriend got a photo on a on a messaging service last week. Said, "Show Graham this. We've got a we've got a snake in the garden." And I took one look at this picture, and I just lost my breath. It was it was a diamond python crawling oh. along the. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> crawling yeah. along the back, back fence in their yard of the house that they've just moved into. And I was oh. like, oh my God, why didn't I, I just bear? <laughs> you know. So I think I'm going to have to go out there on holiday to pay them a visit at some point. Nice. Yeah. Go climbing around the trees in the back garden looking for diamond pythons. Hopefully so, you go and they're there. You know? yeah. So you would figure you'd leave and there'd be like six of them after you left. I mean, you know. <laughs> That's what we're going to be looking for on our trip. Um, yeah, yeah. We're going oh, yeah. into the diamond, <laughs> diamond python territory. And I was curious to see the intergrade zone, you know, like uh, oh, yeah. Coffs Harbor and all that stuff and see, like, uh, you know, what they look did like you, there. In the book, The Complete Carpet, did you see the size of that, that, that hybrid, the coastal diamond hybrid that they uh, took a photo of? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. That thing's <laughs> huge. Massive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No yeah. doubt. For sure. So 
Okay, so you you don't really work with uh, carpets anymore. Is there any other pythons that you're looking to, you know, maybe move into the collection, or are you pretty content with your short tail? Yeah, I'm looking to add green trees and white lips and maybe Timors. And I really like Good. the Candoyan as well, the uh, the Viper Bowers and the Paulson Eye. Huh. I mean, okay. they're really yeah. appealing to me at the moment. I've, uh, I'm waiting on my copy of the Pythons of the World Volume 3, and I'll probably end up, you know, just with a list and a notepad and writing down every <laughs> when that comes in a couple of weeks' time. So, yeah, but uh, the white lips, especially the black ones, you know, they, they're they really uh, taking my fancy at the moment. Now, you guys have that, um, what is it, uh, what is it, Owen, a T positive or T, T negative? It's T positive, T positive. Oh yeah, that's in Germany. That thing, that's um, that's unreal. That. Yeah, but that's a that's a gold face. It's a northern. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. And I, if I had any like, God help everybody. If I get like back to back, if I ever end up breeding my gold face white lips like back to back years, that's when I'd be like, all right, cool, I've got it. Now to get the T neg, like you know that that to get the T positive. So, you know, yeah. then I'll go broke. Until then, it's gorgeous. <laughs> but. Yeah. Yeah, that's a cool snake. You're that's the one like... python that I have not tackled yet. Um, you know, I'll get you some white lips. Yeah, eventually. man, I'm waiting. Maybe <laughs> I... I've been waiting for five now years. You're putting, <laughs> now you're putting pressure on me, and I don't know what I'm doing. So, Jesus. Yeah. Obviously, uh, I'd like some bones as well, but uh, I think they're oh. well out of my price range at the moment. Well, yeah. I gotta I'll get all the other people to do all the hard work first and, and figure them out and then write the book on them and then, uh, <laughs> then, then I'll get some. <laughs> but then no but doubt. you gotta be careful because when when you know Borneo and Blood guys get Bolins, they tend to sell all their collections and just get like six Bolins and sit there. Well, that's so, that's you know. the trap that you could fall yeah. into. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think but, that's. Uh, uh, that's for guys that have uh, pretty much bred everything else. They like need. Yeah. They want a challenge. They need, yeah. They, they need I live, to move on. I live really close to Chester Zoo over here in the UK, and they've got a group of Bolands. So oh. I'm a member there, so I can just go anytime I feel like. I can go and <laughs> admire their Bolands pythons through the glass. Yeah, and you don't have to feed it or take care That's of it. it yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the perfect Bolands. It's not oh, yeah. yours. Yeah. No. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, one day I'll have them. One day. Yeah. <laughs> one day Eric will have everything. But okay. um, <laughs> um one day. the the uh, uh I guess the next step in the show, Graham, is that we kinda go through the uh closing co- questions. Um yeah. and I guess the first one would be what uh what reptile would you keep? If there were no limitations on price or legality, what would it be and why? Uh, you see, I've tossed with the idea of this for some time, and I think it's, <laughs> um, I think you long gave you the same answer, and it's got to be Waggler's Vipers. Jesus. Oh, cool. <laughs> Jesus. Hardcore. The, uh, wow. There's the sister species as well to the Waggler, are the uh, Subannulatus, which are like the really green dragon-headed looking ones. They're really cool uh, as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. Those Trop of the Lamus are really, uh, they're like, uh, there's no way other way to describe them. They, they, they look like dragons out of a film, you know, 
gorgeous, gorgeous snakes. Right. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's awesome. Um, all right. Now, if you could go herping anywhere on the planet, where would you want to go and what would you be hoping to find? Uh, I'd like to go to Burma, actually, and find the uh, the new species, the mon python, the uh, python jacteo. Okay. We've only found we've only found one, and that's preserved in a jar at the moment. So I think it was a, a gravid female that they found. I'd like okay. to go out there and see if we could find some more of them, and just to see how different they are. Because I think the only sort of work that's been done on them at the moment was a scale count. So it'd be nice to sort of pin down how different they are to the Brongosmai, because another mm-hmm. range in the wild is. They're probably about 600 miles apart from the northernmost range where blood pythons occur in Thailand to where this snake was found in uh, this this Jaxio reserve in uh, in Burma. But I think getting get, getting to Burma anyway is um, presents problems in itself. I don't think it's the safest country. No. <laughs> no. No, that's one of those things, but... That would be cool, and I like that idea to kind of try to find a new species or a very rare species is awesome. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's that many places in the world I'd like to go to. Costa Rica, another one, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think just to see bloods and short tails in the wild would be really cool. Awesome. Now, Graham, what is the best way for somebody to contact you, to follow you, to you know, chew your ear off about short tails, uh, how would they do that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've got the uh, the Facebook page there, Northwest Constrictors UK, or they can contact me through my personal profile on Facebook. It's just Graham Andrew Batterson. Plus, um, I am working on a website. I'm not quite there yet, but my phone number is listed on the Northwest Constrictors UK Facebook page. So if anyone wants to hit me up or give me a call, then... I'm always open to discuss these snakes, you know. I love talking snakes and and you know, it's my hobby and my passion and I, I love what I do. Well clearly you're up at like what, four in the morning talking to two dumbasses from the United States? Yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, gentlemen. Yeah, it definitely has. It's awesome and uh we wish you the best of luck with your projects and Keep cranking out these, you know, cool-looking short tails. You'll uh, will do, guys. Will do. Thanks for having awesome. me on the show. Keep Absolutely. up the good work. Thanks, man. Okay, fellas. Have good a good night. night. Bye bye. <laughs> awesome. What a cool guy. You know. Yeah, uh, and that's and I like that. I like it when people like that have really good success with um, projects that they put like kind of their blood, sweat, and tears in. It's like you know. And that kind of stuff. Although I do like the opposite too. Um, uh, but like you know, where the guys like uh, I got this and it just had babies. It's like that's funny <laughs> to me. <laughs> but yeah. it's but I like it where it's like yeah, I put ten years of hard work in this project, selecting animals from good bloodlines, talking with the breeders, pairing this animal with that animal to get this desired result, raising the holdbacks to get this, and it's like that is like, what's what I like. Yeah. 
yeah, he's he's got some amazing animals too. Uh, yeah. Good stuff. It's always uh, I always find it interesting the difference between you know Europe and the U.S. and like you know stuff we take for granted and st- you know what I mean. Like yeah, I guess yeah, I guess dealing with carpets and stuff, you kind of have this idea that everything comes from Europe, but like some of the stuff, you know, is over here. And well, they, you know, you got to think about it. Remember. And this is going, I guess, is going back when the when the when the flow of carpets was from Europe to United States, um, some had to go the other direction. Like there were no tiger carpets in the UK, mm-hmm. so and really no bread lie either. Exactly. So it was funny watching Paul's website. Um, I think the year or two after uh, Nick sent out a bunch of Jason's tigers to Paul. And like the year after, I'm looking at these tigers that are selling for like three times what I'm selling my tigers for. And I'm like, oh, God, I wish I could export. It's like I'm just looking at this where it's like the prices were just insane over tigers because that's what they didn't have. So it's kind of cool with that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think... uh, you know, now that I'm kind of like dialed in, I had I had such a struggle with short tails, but I feel yeah. like I kind of like, you know, changed the way I did it, I guess. And, you know, maybe dialed it in a little better. And now I feel like mm-hmm. I feel, you know, that I only have what, four, four. <gasps> Let's go to Max. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm waiting for uh, Hamburg yeah, Steel, man. Hamburg Jesus. Steel, boy. Woo, what the hell is he naked. doing? <laughs> that's I was there when he bought that, that thing. thing. That, he well, he went yeah. he went walking away, and then he came like running back, and he grabbed a bunch of stuff, and then went running away again. And he came yeah. back with this with this thing, and I'm like, all right. And uh, that's how it goes. Sometimes you find, like, dude, like Sophie was at in a bin at Haverter Grace. So sometimes these every shows, once in a while. <laughs> Yeah, they bring you these jewels, so, you know. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't know if you saw my post the other day about, um, I posted up uh, some coastal carpets and some uh, poplin yeah. carpets, and like, uh, you know, this coastal carpet that I actually got from um, from Zach is uh, yeah. M-Pen Sylvester Lineage. Dude, <clears throat> that thing is insane. And, ah. you know, uh you know, just like next year, you know, you know how intense I am and how I'd like to plan shit out a year in advance. Yeah. Because oh and my the reason god, you didn't rip a whole page out of the book and rewrite it? Oh my god. I, I did, I did. So what I started doing is I kinda like so what I do behind the scenes is I start to like what I start to do now is I start to I take pictures of my animals and I like I kind of like put them into uh, Evernote and I kind of like look at them and see like mm-hmm. what kind of traits and stuff and you know kind of like what would go with what and you know sometimes I'll send messages out to people and try to see if I, see if they what their what their thoughts are or whatever you know like somebody that may be working with the species and um, right you know because that feedback is always cool to hear but anyway um so then once i feel like pretty confident with it like you know because i seasonally feed like now i'm gonna i go around and i put a sticker on on their cages and i just kind of say okay well i'm gonna make not that i don't feed the rest but 
Like I really pay attention to the way. <laughs> yeah, I don't feed any. The if, you don't, if you don't have a sticker on your tub, oh you're my screwed. god! You know, but it's it kind of just like it kind of just like focuses because I don't really have a schedule that I feed. Like I don't have like right. every Saturday I go and I feed. You know, it's just like oh, I haven't fed in a while, so then I go and feed. You know, but with right. those I, in particular. I try to pay attention to them, but, um, and I've kind of adopted that to be honest with you with the whole, mm-hmm. like, I haven't fed in a while. If it's not a baby, it's like, it's like, I'll be down there cleaning. And when they like are up against the the plexiglass, I'm like, all right, I'll thaw a rat out for you. It's like, that's right. just how it goes. And I like it because some of my larger animals have lost weight and are starting to look in that nice lean carpet kind of look. Um, and everyone's acting healthy. And then I also put in, big hide boxes for them to climb on top of, go inside. And mm-hmm. I started putting uh, cypress mulch inside the hide boxes so they can go in there. They got the mulch all the time. The females will use it, use it as their lay boxes. So I don't have to do anything. So I pretty much have everybody downstairs on this kind of, you know, uh, like autopilot almost. It's like, you know, and I like right. that. So, yeah. Yeah. And I kind of like, um, what I was saying is like, I'm looking at my pairings and I'm kind of like, I want to do this, this one or this one or this one. And it's like all normal stuff, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, is, is 90% of my breeding season in 2019 going to be normal carpets? It's looking that way. And, you know, it started to get me thinking, it's like, uh, do it, you know? So I actually started to, I pulled the trigger and I put, I didn't even know how to price it, man, to be honest with you. It was like one of those things, like, how do you price a female? Yeah. Pretty much adult, you know, do, do you want a caramel head granite? <laughs> no, no, you know, you know, I don't, you know, I yeah. don't. <laughs> so, but, um, it's like caramel head uh, and granite. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. You had me and then you lost me. So, it's, right. And I, and I understand that. And that's where things get a little bit. I mean, numerous times you and I have had the conversations of what should you price this at? And it's hard because if it's a het, you normally want to take the visual and then knock knock it down almost like halfway. And then it's like, well, sometimes there are so many not, you know, so many not that many visuals like out there where it's kind of hard to gauge what things are at. So, yeah, you know, and then you can't find the 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 specific combination that you're that you're talking about and you're kind of like uh so then you kind of look at something similar and you try to put it in that price range and you know it's just like wow it's one of those things where you don't yeah, dude I, I i have no idea where to price it but it, it, anyway it's difficult. and you know for things you may <laughs> i well i mean you're purging those brisbane coastals no those things. Damn it! They're not. They're not going. Damn nowhere. it! <laughs> probably, right. probably the things that I am purging, Owen, you will have no interest in. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> I mean, I don't no. know. I have like the zebra head albino stuff like no. that. Yeah, no. those all things that no. uh, got to make the move. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean. I don't know. It's just, I, 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 maybe I'm just getting old. I, I don't know, but it's kind of like, <laughs> I guess like, 
you know, like putting as many genes into a thing is kind of like I don't know, it's well, lost its luster for me. Well, I mean, you know? we we said we said it numerous times on the show. Do what you you know your your collection and your take on reptiles is going to ever evolve. You know, yeah. How many times we spoke to people who said that like, oh man, I bred bearded dragons until I got my first you know annulated boa, and then I was done. All right, well, cool, that's awesome. Stick to your stuff. So yeah, you did all this, but your favorite thing is all this stuff. So, you know, do it. Yeah. It's like, uh, Nick would be so proud of me. <laughs> oh, would he? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you're doing just normal coastals and stuff, it's so weird yeah. <laughs> how me and you have like changed places over the years. <laughs> like, <laughs> although you're not really doing crosses. But I, you know what well, I'm saying? No, like, no, but the problem is, is that there are several animals in my collection that are crosses, and they're all your goddamn fault. All right? Yeah. So there are two of them, and you know the ones that I'm talking about. There's the uh, citrus tiger head albino, and there's right. the uh, – she's a gamma, isn't she? Or she's a ocelot, ocelot. something or other. Ocelot uh, yeah. head albino. So those two. They're the only two that are in the collection – that I know of, I'm going to add that thing there, but and they annoy the hell out of me because they're gorgeous and I really want to breed them to my albino, but you know, whatever. But why don't you just breed them together? Because they're both girls. And, oh. you know, although this is 2018, they can't really, it won't work that way. But oh, yeah. um, the, the, uh, it's kind of like, and my collection has evolved too. Cause I mean, if we go all the way back to, um, we go all the way back to the, uh, beginning of the show, mm-hmm. I had nothing but coastals and that was it. And then obviously I went on this tangent and this tear of getting all the different types of Morelia, which is when I got jungles, IJs, bread lie, all this other right. stuff. And then we started moving into the other things and I'm finding out that I like more and more where you were like, I don't want to breed all these morph and gene animals. And right. I want to stick to the more of the enhancing what I have wild type. I'm almost where I just want to breed animals that just have a wild type. Like just take the morph completely out of it. Just give me this. But oh, where I it doesn't even have, have a morph. Exactly. Like, you know, I want to breed uh, Maclot pythons. Why? Because it's a freaking Maclot python. I will breed a white lip because it's like, eh, right. it's white lips. Like that's it. But I also now my love of coastals is never going to go away. So I kind of, in the next couple of years, I will be pushing more and more to what is uh, just coastals and then random other species. So, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. uh, I don't know, man. I, I guess so. Like, you know, I'm really going through my collection, and like, so really, how it started is I'm, I'm like pounding away slowly and surely at my mm-hmm. website, and I'm also updating Reptiscan and all that kind of stuff, and taking pictures and just slowly chipping away at it. But like when you see it all in front of you and you're looking at, wow, that snake would really go well with that snake. And that snake would really, you know what I mean? And you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. And next thing you know, you're breeding five normal coastal carpet clutches and you're like, uh, is that something that should, happens? should I do? But like, I guess the goal for me is like, you know, coastals and, Popwins and even inlands kind of fall into the same thing. And like I've said this before multiple times, but um, the the selective breeding you, we could do with with those in particular. Um, There's so know, much you, more that could be done. 
Yeah, you like, could take that so to uh, jungle level. I think mm-hmm. I think the coastal the coastal fell into the thing with the jag, and like you know, as soon as the jag came out, it was like, oh, that just sort of stopped the whole selective breeding process, and yeah, everybody just started breeding jags to whatever you know, and and you know. And I, I do. I love Jags. Don't get me wrong. And, and and I don't want people to think that I'm anti-morphs or don't like morphs or ain't going to continue to breed morphs that no. Yeah, no, I'm still doing that's, it. And that's, that's incorrect, you know, uh, but and, it's just like some of my projects are like, you know, and we talked about this last week where you get to a point where it's like, do I, you know, move this animal on and give it to somebody as a pet? Do I, you know yeah. what I mean? Like those kind of things. Do I sell it to somebody that's going to keep it as a pet? Do I, you know, I, I, I've kind of gotten to a thing now where it's like, I was talking about, um, I, I mean, I, I was kind of going through it in my own head where it's like, all right, well, you're just going to do coastals. I'm like, well, then you have to get her to your pair, your, you know, your 2.3 of jungles. I'm like, yeah, but I really like them. All right. Well, keep the jungles, but ditch like, those two jungles over there that you don't really like. All right, cool. Well, it's like, well, you don't have any IJs <laughs> except for the one that keeps, that isn't even here. So yeah, we can worry about that later. And then it's like, well, bread lie. Well, it's like, eh, I like the bread lie. So how about we just don't bring in any new bread lie. And when this pair is done, it's done. And that'll be it. I'm like, all right, I can live with that too. So it's like, it's almost like that where I'm kind of phasing things out as a, I'm not going to bring in any new stuff when it comes to those. I'm not going to bring in any new jungles. I'm not going to bring in any new bread lie, but I will be adding more coastal stuff. Like, you know, I think it's Brisbane. a goddamn, yet it's a goddamn crime that I don't have them. <laughs> like, I can't believe it, man. Me. I'm just I'm I don't so know disappointed. So and Nick you know is disappointed I mean, with you, and he's. <laughs> Nick has always been disappointed in me. It just has to give him reasons to. You know, I mean, uh, come on. But it's like, I, I don't have the Brisbane's. And then I'm even sitting there going like Port Douglas, Rockhampton. If you're going to jump into coastals and just bake that to bread and butter, it's almost like you have to have a pair of each locality. Otherwise, what the hell are we doing here? So you have your locality coastals and then you have your morph coastals. And your, your entire process is to enhance the best out of everything. So you breed the, the morphs with each other to make the really cool, really nice popping Morph, and I'm starting to get there with my super caramel stuff, and I would love to have that kind of with Brisbane's, where it's just it's a wild type, but I want to try to get the brightest, craziest patterned animal coming out of two normal animals. So that is what I would like to do. So. Well, the cool thing with those in particular, and I think just coastals yeah. in general, but I think with those in particular is there's so many different looks. You know, there's some that are striped. Yep. There's some that look like they have like that diamondy fishnet pattern. There's some that are like yep. almost like a bronze color. There's some that are like more of a, you know, brownish type of color. But they're definitely, definitely, I think, the coolest of the coastal uh bunch and then even if you look at things like rock hamptons like overall you know again i don't i don't really think that a whole lot of selective breeding has gone into them but dude their head patterns are Mm -hmm. freaking phenomenal like every time i see them it's like holy shit yeah i mean and it sucks is that looking back at all the coastal clutches that i have produced Mm -hmm. i let animals go that were the non-morph for cheap as hell and i'm like god damn i could have done so much with that 
It's yeah. like that's that's where it kicks me because like people are always like, I bet you you wish you had this Jag back, nah, because I kept <laughs> it. I get this brother and sister that were you know. There's a reason that one was up for sale, but I right. overlooked all of the non-morphed animals as just non-morphed animals, and it sucks because you know those animals have been those were sold in back in 2010. So there's no way finding them anymore. So right, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, just cool stuff. And, um, you know, I don't know. So next year should be – and, you know, I, here's the other part mm. of it. Like, so far, what's hatched out for me has been, um, you know, pop ones, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. dude, they hatch out of the egg. There's no issues. There's no freaking kinks. And, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, <laughs> it's not wobbling and something like and and again, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that that's that I'm the anti jack. No, but it, like but it but just for me weight. personally, it's like it's yeah. like you're, it's coming out and you're like, wow, there's no issues with this snake. It's freaking solid. And everything is cool, you know. But I couldn't believe how big these uh, tiger IJs are, man. Like I, he's a big huge. boy, dude. He's a yeah. big boy, so. And I guess it's genetic. I don't know, which means that for me, those snakes in particular are going to have those big chunky heads that I freaking love. <laughs> I freaking love those big chunky heads. Now, all right, so none of, none of those are going up for sale. All right, so. No, I'm going to have to sell them for sure. <laughs> no doubt. I can't. Uh, I'm, well, too many I already babies. Have, I already have my holdback picked out, so oh. you know, obviously, I'm going to have a, a pair, and then the rest go, but. Um, I didn't talk about the Exanic clutch. So the Exanic guys and um, mm. 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 so I hatched out. No, 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 no. I'm not doing any more high chase, but like your Exanic, like, I think it was your Exanic granite. Like the first time I saw like him, I was like, dear God, that's gorgeous. And that is for me to say that, you know, that it, hurt your soul, yeah, didn't it? It did. <laughs> like, you know, something punched me. Cause it's like, because I know we've had that discussion before of which Exanic is more attractive, the Coastal or the IJ. And I've been very reluctant to admit it, but the IJ is definitely it's better, man. brighter, and it's yes. better, and it's got more silvery blue to it. It almost looks yes. like a freaking inland. So, you know, it's if I were ever to do anything IJ-related ever again, other than what is going on right now where my female lives with Jason Bale, and <laughs> I would do Exanics. That's all yeah, I'm gonna so, say. So, <laughs> so what was cool with them is is that out mm. of head to head, head to head, I did right. If you yeah. even want to call them head to head, I don't like I said, I don't, I don't know what they're called anymore. But um, yeah, we don't know. <laughs> uh, I got five Exanics, so nice. I was kind of worried about how I would tell the difference between. Uh, the Exanics and the Normals. But the cool thing with, um, and I'm not going to go through this with the Coastals, is uh, Normal IJs hatch out red. So it was really oh. easy. Oh, you know, that, that is easy. Yeah. Yeah, and like they weren't as red as like the Tiger Clutch, like the Tiger IJ mm-hmm. Clutch. Um, but they definitely, mm-hmm. so the eyes, I remember Nick saying something about the eyes, but the eyes are silver. And I yeah. don't know if that goes away as they age. Um, I think it does. A little bit. But when they're yeah. babies, you can tell right away. So it's like uh, – and not for nothing, man, but it's pretty cool when Nick's 
wanting to buy a snake from you. <laughs> I oh, feel no like, shit. oh yeah. You know, it's like he's calling dibs on this. I'm like, slow down, buddy. First, Whoa, I buddy. Think. <laughs> yeah, that's not how this works. I, I, you remember, like, I'm asking for that one, and you're like, nope, that's mine. So I get to say that to yeah, him. Yeah, well, now. you know, uh, <laughs> full circle. Nope, can't ha- nope, can't have that one. Yeah, what is what is it? The student has now become the teacher. Is that come the master? Like? <laughs> I wouldn't say that. When you but, take uh, this, when you take this pebble from my hand, you may leave. It's like, yeah. It's just... uh, well, it's always but, good, uh, it's always good like that. I mean, like where you can have people that you looked up to get kind of jazzed about an animal that you're producing. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of cool like that. So, uh, definitely. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool stuff. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Next time you're around or whatever, I can show you what they look like. You'll be, uh, you'll be blown away by how cool they look, man. They're really, I, really, I have to really neat. I have to come down there. Uh, I almost actually broke into your house the, uh, past weekend, because okay. I was helping Andrew do a bunch of monitor cages and like, I was like sweaty and disgusting. It was like, well, it was that one weekend where it was like 80 something degrees. And oh, yeah. I literally, I literally texted you. I'm like, you know, you better open that pool, man. And if you had texted back, it's open. I would have been in your backyard. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I'm right. just saying you right. avoided it by like that much. So. Right. <laughs> chop, chop, Mike. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even have said anything. I would have just been like, yeah. I've just shown up. Yeah. So. Hey yeah. man, I told you, 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 you are allowed. You and Matt are the ones that can just come at whenever. You know. All right. Cool. <laughs> Anybody else? All right, cool. They got They got yeah, They got to call ahead. Yeah. <laughs> the only other yeah. one, I, I'd let I'd let Rob Stone and Bill. They could. They could do. They yeah, traveled but, all this way. If they want to get. Yeah, in the pool, I mean, get in the pool, if you know? but Rob would have to schedule that. I mean, it's a, oh. Oh my God! I have to call him or talk to him. Okay, he he and I were going back and forth earlier this week, and I'm like, I had a question that I was going to ask you, Rob, and I totally forgot. I just freaking remembered it, so I'm gonna. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I'll talk to Rob later. So, Rob is working <laughs> on. Uh, he's uh, he's he's been helping me out with booking some guests. Um, he booked. <laughs> who, who's the one he booked? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Tim Bailey. He booked Tim Bailey. Yeah. Yeah. And uh Vin Russo has fallen into that same category as Tim Bailey. Um and meaning that, you know, every Tinley comes around and like Rob goes and he talks to him and he says, Hey man, you, you what do you think about coming yeah. on on radio? And you know, Vin's like, Yeah, man, you just tell me when and like you know, yeah. after like three years of that, it's kinda like at the point now where Vin is kinda like do you have any pull, Rob? Do you really even know these guys? Or you just we don't know. No, just to, I have like, no idea. I've never met. Yeah, I've never met Rob Stone. I don't know who that man is, <laughs> and um, whatever he says is a lie. Like <clears throat> you know, we've never seen him before. Yeah, he likes to throw and our I, name around a lot. And I thought about it. Although I'm not a real like a boa type of guy. Yeah. Um. I think it would be cool to talk to Vin Russo. I think. Yeah, I uh, think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he's at a pioneer. At a certain point, exactly. At a certain point, you got to give credit where credit is due, no matter what the hell the animal is. You know, it's plus like we we, we even just experienced with the lace monitor show. Sometimes you can take shit that is like general basic knowledge in a different reptile community and apply it to 
your community that you never even thought possible. Like I never thought you could make like rock outcrop sculptures and stuff like that and mm-hmm. anything else like that and could totally work. So yeah, why not? I'd be all for it. Yeah. So I think we've been on a good roll with shows. I think, uh, yeah, which is weird. We've had some, some really <laughs> good ones and, uh, I feel like we've kicked it up to, uh, another notch, you know, we're still, it's like we're getting kind of scientific geeky, but still not scientific. You know what I mean? Like sometimes yeah, that can and- be, overbearing you know what i mean people can <laughs> follow what's going on here yeah so. right right we, d- we dumb it down <laughs> we bring it we to eric to and owen show. level <laughs> thank you like we haven't yeah. gotten to the show where i'm like huh <laughs> like you know it's like yeah. all right do it again but slower like you know that's yeah we haven't gotten that far yet i am working on uh i am working on one that's taking me a long time to research but i think i think this will prove out to be a very good show and the gentleman was at icast so he gave a presentation and uh he's written a book and um, okay i think uh if he agrees to do it i think it i think it'll be a it will be a good one so i'm All looking right. forward to that so a lot of cool shows coming up is what i'm saying so uh yeah so uh, stick with us yeah i guess it's enough enough rambling i didn't get to uh upload the uh the little i'm going to do it this week um, mm. I'm just going to surprise you guys with that little upload just so you can hear the sound quality last week, man. Whew, blog talk was brutal. Holy yeah, shit. That was Listening messy. back to the show. Oh yeah. I was getting messed up cause I couldn't hear and I had a delay and I, I, dude, I was, I was going from my computer to my second computer to my phone at one point. It was just messed up. So you and I are, I'm going to fix my audio stuff uh, and spring for some good mics and stuff like that this week. And hopefully I'll have them up and rolling for next week episode. And, uh, but blog talk was crappy last week. So, yeah, it's going to take us a little while. Cause man, I, I just don't like to go the route of asking people for, to help us run the no. podcast. Like, no, I, no, I, no, no, it's, it's no. us. You know, we're going to yeah, do it. Yeah. We're going to take, you know, and there's a lot of equipment. You know, I kind of researched the equipment to do it without doing the live thing. And I know everybody kind of likes the live thing and they like to listen and whatnot. But I think mm. I think at the end of the day, if we, I mean, we could still put it up on blog talk. That's not a big thing, because I think that's no. maybe the the way we would go. I don't know. But like it, we'll we'll start to mess around with it. But it's like you're talking about five grand in equipment. You know what I mean? Holy so it's not like crap. No. Like what I would what I would need on my end. You don't need that, Owen. You just need. I know, but getting. Jesus. But what I'm I saying see. is like on our end, on my end, you're talking. Yeah. Like, you know, you're talking like serious production equipment, and you might be able to do that cheaper. But like, yeah. I kind of look at it this way: like when it comes to these kind of like investments and stuff, it's like, mm. am I going to? think i again i keep going back to music but like am i going to go buy a, a cheap guitar that's only going to cost me three hundred dollars that's only going to last me x amount of time or am i going to buy one that's like maybe it is way expensive but i'm real that's it i'm never really going to yeah. have to reinvest that it, it'll it. it'll never break or die on you yeah right so, so 
that's kind of where we're at. So just kind of stick with us. I apologize. I know there's some kind of thing going on with blog talk and the new iPhone and you can't listen to it. And it's a real pain in the balls and, you know, sorry about that. (laughs) You know, but, uh, I guess, you know, probably by the time I buy all the equipment, blog talk will work through their issues and we'll be all good. (laughs) It's only only been six years. I mean, you know, it's, yeah. They go through stages. Uh, like for a while, they'll be fine. Like I was nervous about the, tonight because usually when we're yeah. talking to somebody out of the U.S., then it's like, oh man. But you know, yeah, I guess that yeah. email link worked really good. So yeah, um, I'd be curious. To but see then every once in a while, it just totally like for two or three episodes in a row, it just totally loses its mind. Yeah, so. and it's always the one that's like the one that you're looking forward to. No I matter know. what it is, you know, it's always that yeah. one episode, and you're like, "Ah, god damn it!" This is gonna be so. a good one, and then it just explodes. Uh, yeah, so right. But All that's right. enough well, of our bitching. <laughs> yeah. So uh, next week, I think I don't know. It's possible that um, it may be we may have a guest, but I think it's just gonna be me and you. And uh, I got some cool. topics we can hit on. We'll probably break into. Uh, Hose your uh, stuff and all that stuff and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> talk, <laughs> we'll talk about uh, maybe setting up babies and you know that kind of stuff. Blah blah blah. Cool. So, uh, and then the week after that, we have uh, Ben Morrill. Uh, he's going to be coming on, and uh, I'm excited for what he's going to be announcing. So uh, stay yeah. tuned for that. And then uh, yeah, so that's what we got coming up. Um, cool. And I think not too not too long after that, it's going to be Carpet Fest. So, <laughs> oh my God, it's we're almost <laughs> yeah. right on top of it. It's yeah, it's true. Yeah, so these yeah. guys are finishing up. So we have the Southwest Carpet Fest, like I said, is this weekend. Those guys are doing their auction and then uh, prepare for the onslaught that uh, we will start to do. I don't know what we're going to do. Yo. I guess at some point, me and you got to meet and work this out and figure out what our game plan is, but. Uh, I'll 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 swing down there and we'll we'll have one of those um, classic Owen and Eric meetings where we end up hanging out in your snake room going over snakes and then we realize about five minutes before I have to leave that we were supposed to be planning a bunch of shit so we got to run through it in the notebook real quick and then I go right so yeah <laughs> sounds good yeah, yeah good plan so All right. <laughs> but we'll uh, uh, we'll definitely plan it down and and if you do want to uh, real quick if you guys. Uh, do want to contribute to the Northeast Carpet Fest auction. Uh, as of May 1st, we're going to start taking donations. If you already have a really cool idea and want to get in contact with us beforehand, uh, drop either myself or Eric a line, and we'll have you marked down. But uh, as of May 1st, we're going to start hitting it hard because we got 30 days before, 39 days before Carpet Fest. So. Right. So right. be on the lookout for that. So we got the Southwest Carpet Fest, April 28th and 29th, Vista, California. The following week, we have the Southern Carpet Fest, May 5th and 6th. And that's in, um, uh, I don't know exactly where, uh, mm-hmm. um, I don't know where it's at. It's at Tony Jerome's house. So I guess if you're looking for info on that, contact him or contact Evan. Uh, I guess you could contact Bill too. Uh, one of those guys, Bill Eagle, uh, Evan Browder, or uh, Tony Jerome. Uh, but one of those guys will be able to hook it up. You could also contact uh, From the Ground Up uh, podcast crew. Uh, they will they'll be able to give you information as well. So as far as us, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Our email is info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. I think I'm going to delete our group. Um, <laughs> Do it. 
and just do the page. I think you know, pick of the week and it's all these other. Too dude, much. I think it's too much crap. Too much, yeah. man. So pick I think. Of the week. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think I think that's going to be deleted. So I guess if you like that group, it's going to be gone. But. You know, so sorry. go to the page. There. <laughs> yeah, so go to the go to page, page or go to the pick of the week. So yeah, kill the group. Yep. So done. Owen has vowed it. Uh, we will do it. Damn right. So if you, you want to get in touch, so it shall be done. <laughs> yes. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, your email for Morelli Python Radio is info at morellipythonradio.com. Now, myself, ebmorelia.com. My email is eric at ebmorelia.com. Facebook page, Instagram, YouTube, all that stuff, all ebmorelia. I don't really go on Facebook all that much. So if you want to find out what's going on with me, it's either my Facebook page, Instagram, or my website. Uh, best way to get in contact with me is email Eric at ebmorelli.com. Uh, I do have stuff for sale. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dum, 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 dum. You know, my uh, God. Yeah. yeah. Stop it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I finally am selling something after seven years of uh, not selling yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, well. um, so, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be randomly putting animals up for sale. Um, I actually put an animal up for sale on the um, morph market. So we'll see how that oh, goes. Really? Yeah. yeah, because I tried to put it up to one of the f- carpet python Groups and uh, it's still not. It on got there, taken so. down. Just, yeah. uh, the well, one put it up, the other one didn't. So I'm just like, all right, well, fuck it. You know what's funny is I took a picture of these baby jungles that had just shed, uh, and I put them up on my Instagram, and I'm uh-huh. like, and I just posted them up, and one of them sold, like just by having a picture up on the Instagram stuff. So it's like, sometimes, I'm man, you, man. It, I think that's yeah. the way to go. Sometimes you just got to throw it out there and you'd be surprised what the hell. Cause just like, just, it just, somebody just really wanted it. So man, cool. All right. So yeah, that's me. ebmorelia.com uh, and, and all those things I said, that's where you can follow me. So if you're looking for something in particular, who knows, maybe I'll have it. Hit me up. Um, and uh, I'll see if uh, I have it. Some, I have some really cool morph sub adult stuff and, some adult stuff, some proven stuff that I'm probably going to be letting go. So if you're into Damn. something like that, um, hit me up. That's all I got. Cool. Uh, for me, you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. Check out all those animals we have up for sale over there. Uh, well, I am updating the breeding diary uh, soon as what the hell's going on over here. Um, and uh, definitely keep an eye on that. You can also give uh, a like over at Facebook for Rogue Reptiles. Uh, and hell, you can try to find me on Instagram under Owen McIntyre if you want to track that down too, because I'm probably posting on that more than I am anything else. Uh, so yeah, and then this weekend I will be at the Hamburg Reptile Show in Pennsylvania, Hamburg, PA. I am not vending because I do not have a table. So um <laughs> So, uh, but I will be there. So if you do want any animals to be delivered there, you can happen. That can happen free of charge. Uh, just get in contact with me. And that's all we have for everybody here tonight. We'll say thank you all for listening. And we're going to catch everybody back here next week for some more Morelli Python Radio. Good night.